Right, we'll we'll get going now then. Folks, welcome <laughs> back to the podcast. This is, I think, episode 109. We've got Ed Miles and Mick Wynn, and they're going to be chatting to us about motorcycle clothing protection uh, and basically everything to do with motorbikes. How are you doing, boys? <laughs> yep, great, thank you. Perfect. Awesome. You all right, Mick? Yeah, I'm good. Just back Excellent. from Ike, Oh, wow. How was that? Show. A lot of walking. Yeah. I've never done it. Steps a day. Gee whiz. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, a three-dayer, really. It's a three-dayer. So, yeah. really, I, I, I have heard that before, and um, I just I just couldn't do the time this year. I, I just couldn't get over there. But I'd love to go. You've got yes. to. Good. Amazing city and amazing, uh, amazing show. There's a lot. There's a lot going on you, that you won't have seen before. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> there seems to be a few new bikes coming out as well. Suzuki are punting some new bikes out, aren't they? Is that right? Yeah, they've got a new Naked coming out, haven't they? So that looks like a, a quality bike. It looks like it's going to work quite well for them, moving in the direction that most people are going. I think so. Yeah. Uh, bringing the cost down a little bit from the sort of uh, hyper sports dropping the GSXR. So yeah, it's, uh, based GSXR based. Yeah. Is it thousand? So the best bike there, I thought, was cake. Cake? <laughs> Have you seen cake? No. So it's a, it looks, it's, it's an enduro-looking bike with a battery in it. And when I went to, uh, I went to Dias in the city, you know, the, the cafes. Right. Dias cafes. They had one on the bench there. I thought, right, now it's cool. Yeah, I'm looking <laughs> at it. Wow, that's cool. And then I went there. They didn't have any other bike apart from that one. They had an old, an old, uh, like a, a Z750 cafe racer that they'd done up that had dust yeah. on it. Cake was, you look that up, they're really cool. I'd never, I've not heard of that before. I'll need to check that out. Um, like you mentioned there about the drop, drop and the Jixxer brand. I can't believe that because that's, I mean, the Jixxer is what got me into bikes. That was like my, <laughs> that was my poster bike, that, the, you know, the, the GSXR. And yeah, I've, I've had a couple, couple of strads. Couple um, of strads in my time, seven couple of seven fifties and a six hundred. So, right. yeah, it's really sad and I crashed a couple as well. So, yeah. <laughs> well, as we go through this, you'll learn I crash a lot of bikes. <laughs> if, you, if you're not crashing, you're not trying. That's what I've been told. Yeah, I must be trying very hard then. <laughs> <laughs> I try a lot. Yeah, um, gents, do you have a refreshment of choice for the evening? Ooh, what's that? Whitstable Bay. Ah, I think I've had one of them. That's nice. That it's very good. Have you got, got more bits as well? Look. <laughs> okay. Nice, good effort. It's come I've on. Gone, I've gone mainstream with Beaver Town Gamma Ray. Right. So. Lovely job. Which is here we go. The these, these are um, these are uh, like beer grenades. These like one in every six Sorry. just blows up. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 I've got a whole Brewdog selection. Slange. Are you getting? Are you getting a sponsorship from them soon? No. No. <laughs> what it is is. Uh, uh, like the World uh, Cup, uh, yeah, I wish. Uh, you know, I did drop my line because the two lads that start started Brewdog are from my neck of the woods. They're from the northeast of Scotland, and they they basically, you know, they they went to school in one of the next towns along from where I am. So, and we're about the same age, and you know, I thought oh, there's a nice little connection there. So, sent them a little pitch, just saying, you know, if this is the the podcast, it's doing quite well. Do you want to get involved? Nothing, never heard a peep. However, because I drink, I've been drinking Brewdog on the podcast. People keep sending me crates of it. I just get deliveries <laughs> of stuff. In, so, thank <laughs> you very much. <laughs> but my garage is full of Brewdog now. I did, <laughs> I this, I did the same when I was racing um, motocross. I got drunk one night, and we decided to send Red Bull an email to see if they'd sponsor our. Uh, our motocross team and we were in a two-man tent at the time 
uh, on the side of a hill in Bath. So, Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they, they, they? They responded, "We don't. Uh, we're not looking for any new uh, riders." <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but you can always drink Red Bull between races. Give you yeah, a yeah. So <laughs> here's a crate of Red Bull. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right, gents. Can can I chuck the floor open to each of you initially, just to give us a quick rundown as to who you are, uh, your biking history, and then we can get going into into the podcast, sort of so to speak, straight from that. Do you want to go first, Mick? You've got you more like. to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you've you've ridden a bike or two, have you not, Mick? Yeah. No, well, I'm not allowed to ride it, am I? I had to, uh, I had to sit in the in the tea tray on the side. You're the maniac so that, that hangs on, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. So the the thing that I'm famous for is uh, uh, my dad took me to the TT on the back of a GT750 Suzuki when I was 13, and then again when I was 17. And my next visit, I was crashing into Solby Bridge, uh, fell out of Caramore. So yeah, my first. TT experience was um, as a rookie with a rookie rider really quick on a TZ350G on a, on an outfit, um, staying in someone's house, which was odd. We were doing the BSB championship at the time and I'd moved to Leicestershire to go racing. And um, and then I had a, a break from the from the TT, obviously scared to death. It's really <laughs> frightening place. But um, I went back and won two. And so I went back with a superstar and won it with uh, someone who'd come back to racing after Grand Prix yep. at 34 years old, Rob Fisher. Uh-huh. Won all this, look. That record. Oh, look at that. <laughs> How cool is that to have one of them in your house? The other one. Oh, <laughs> brilliant. And then when, when you win, oh, we get this big. That's like the Oscars in the bike world, that, isn't it? Wow. Fantastic. I watched that clip that you sent me. You sent you sent a clip in the, on the email of um, some of the TT footage of you racing. Oh, man, that's crazy. That just looks... St- when the wheel's coming up off the ground, cr- skipping across the curb. <laughs> yeah. well, With the, you on top of it. It's also linked to the job, so I still haven't got... I mean, Ed and I haven't got a real job. It's really good fun. We're working <laughs> in the motorbike bike industry working with clothing and not not just selling the stuff but helping out the customers but mm-hmm. in talks we both do we both do talks we've done it all the way through i've been with motorcycle city who were my sponsor they were philip mccullen's sponsor as well they took me on a full-time job so i run a workshop um service division and then several motorcycle clothing shops and then went into the trade into manufacturing effectively working for a distributor and I was the Joe Rocket sponsorship manager as well with uh, the Virgin Yamaha team. So every time they fell on the floor, then I was on the phone getting them a new suit, but yeah. also selling Rucker, Shoeberth and Daytona at the time. So we've been through over 30 years. When I wrote that to you, wow. I thought, oh my God, yeah, 1992, I came into the trade. But just because someone let me have a job because I was yeah. doing so much racing, if you're sidecar racing, you're not in the situation where you could do it for a living, really. So um, you could you can make a bit of money, but normally the bike swallows it or the travel. Mm-hmm. So the same as music, really. Speak to anyone in the band; they haven't made any money, but they've they've gathered some money and given it back, and that's that's <laughs> what I work for City. But they really looked after me and give me a job after I smashed my femur at Lydon. Mm-hmm. The bike ran me over, and I spent three and a half months in hospital airlifted out um and then 
decided to give up racing because I've got a 14 inch bar in my femur down the outside, 25 screws. So I've got a dynamic hip plate. So I had a bit of a rough time and they'd, while I was in bed, they were saying to me, it's fine. Don't worry. Come back. You can have a real job. Go, mm. go to work. So Wow. Yeah. yeah. They've got, they've got your back there. That's the kind of, uh, that's the kind of news you need behind you, don't you? And, uh, and, and if you're doing Scarborough Championship, TT oh, yeah. and BSB all at once, you can't do that on your holidays at work. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Not racing at weekends in retail, oh, that's for sure. <laughs> so what about you then, Ed? Much more boring, unfortunately. Um, I started in the I started riding when I was three as a uh, rode a PW50. A friend of mine um had a, was doing trials when he was three and four years old. So his dad let me have a go on his PW50 and I rode it straight up a tree and it landed on me. So that's the second crash we've talked about for me so far. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and as I say, my, my friend who lived seven doors down the road, his dad's a um, pre-65 scrambler. So he's racing for the British team. And so both his sons were doing trials. That sort of got us into motorcycling. Mm-hmm. My dad rides as well. So I think on the road, we had about 40 motorbikes on my road at one point that yeah, I grew yeah, up on. So I've been around them my whole life, really. Um and when I was 14, I didn't want to do a paper round. So I went down the local bike shop and asked them for a job. Uh, and they let me work weekends, uh, cash in hand out the till selling bike clothing. And really that's what I still do. So that's been 27 years. Um, so I did retail for a while and then, uh, I followed Mick to, to uh, the distributor we worked for. So Rucker Birth Daytona, uh, did sales in the South of England, um, and technical training and all the Gore-Tex training, all that side of things for, for those brands and other, and other ones, of course. Um, and then two years ago, I moved over to Halverson's, um, where I'm country manager and part of the product development team, marketing team, and mm-hmm. running the UK essentially. So, and Mick works with me. Um, so we've been working. So the one thing we didn't say is we actually worked in the same bike shop in Newbury. Uh, how long ago was it? 20, 20 yeah, years-ish, I guess. Yeah. So Mick was my manager at that point and yeah. I was the weekend boy. So we've known each other quite a long time. And so now we're out of the tail. Sorry, so, uh, he was still paid out until then. <laughs> yeah, don't tell the tax man. <laughs> I think exactly, yeah. <laughs> I've <heard> a fortune. <laughs> I, think, I think 20 years ago it'll be all right. Yeah. I think. <laughs> so in, in terms of in terms of this podcast, I think basically we're wanting an, an open chat, an open discussion really about motorcycle clothing. Uh, I, bet, I think you said you're just going to be like an open book for people's questions, uh, answering any questions that they've got with regards to leathers, textiles. You did mention something about air vests, didn't you? I so, say like, we have opinions on airbags, but because right. we don't do it as a brand, and I never, mm. re- I did a bit with bearing before, so I do know a bit about um, static okay. vests. But the questions will all be about the Alpine Stars Tech Air and the Danny Smart Vest. There are uh, a couple, and, yeah. Uh, if you want me to get deep into that, that is something I am not qualified to do <laughs> that well. If someone's just got an opinion question on what do I think about them, far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No worries. <laughs> and no Bluetooth worries. is the other one. Bluetooth questions. That, that's for somebody else. <laughs> Right. Oh, okay then. Um, there are a load of questions, particularly on on Patreon, uh, but there's a few over on Instagram and Facebook as well. But there's loads on 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 the clan over on Patreon. So, are you alright if we just crack on with the questions and just see where the conversation takes us? Because you know Absolutely. they can be they can be as random as you like. Yeah. Right, folks. First off, head across to the clan patreon.com forward slash teapot one. First one, Patrick Column. 
Okay, so potentially predictable question. In recent years, I've tended to buy RST adventure gear simply because it fits well. It's regularly between AA and AAA rated. So first question, is it good quality? So, well, first of all, about the A ratings, obviously that gives you a benchmark of where you're sitting if you're going to buy. I'd imagine if he's buying leathers, I'm guessing. Uh, because he's saying AAA and RST don't do a double A, a triple A textiles. It must be he must be generally talking about leathers. Well, he's saying um, advent, RST adventure gear, oh, yeah, so I'm adventure assuming gear. it's going to be textile. Mm, it must be double A. I'd have thought. I don't think they do a triple A, but that's fine. Okay. Um, yeah. So RST used to be called Rhino Sport Touring a long time ago, uh, and it was bought by. Um, most direct essentially and they built it up into sort of a race brand uh when the demise of frank thomas sort of came about mm-hmm. uh, and they really hit the market hard and um went in hard with the race sponsoring the tt all the races on the bsb grid if you remember those times yep, yep. Uh, they sponsored everybody in terms of quality yeah it's, it's a good quality product at the price level it's at so that's always the the first thing to look at is is where the pricing is if it's i think the r the rst brand is uh is the sort of more budget version of the wolf brand so the mm-hmm. same, the same people behind them. The Wolf was meant to be the premium brand, and RST was meant to be the slightly more budget. But I think they've changed recently. So yeah, in terms of what they do at the price point, they do it at it's a good, it's a good quality product. That's what I would oh. say generally. Um, any other thoughts, Mick, on that? Yeah, I think it depends on which part of the uh, genres that you're talking yeah. about because they do mm-hmm. have a top of the range race suit when they're looking after the guys. For instance, BSP, you can buy you can buy a airbag ready. But possibly have an airbag now, thousand um, pound race suit, and they have a, a division for that. But we're aware of the fact that it's um, they, they're covering all the bases. So mm. just say RST, it's very difficult to say is that a quality brand. It's like saying Alpine Star, and you might have bought a city jacket, yeah. and you're 100 mile an hour on the motorway. So I think it would be down to an, an individual product that you're that you're looking at. Yeah, gotcha. it, it, it's jacket, and is there a better yeah. one? It's yeah, it's, it's very fun. much so. Both both me and Mick also work for the sort of one of the top end brands as well. Um, and it it's a question you get all the time: is it a good quality brand? It it really is picking the right jacket for the application of what you're doing with it. So if you're on a scooter riding around London on a PCX, probably uh, you know, a Rucker Nevada is 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 overkill. Um, gotcha. But but if you're doing the touring, then touring stuff or that sort of thing, then it's a it's the right jacket for the application. And RST do have good jackets for certain applications. So, uh, and they but they also have stuff that's very very low end as well. So it does kind of depend um, what you're looking at doing. And what you're looking at buying. Yeah, gotcha. gotcha. The other thing that we talk about, which is almost like a, a mystery to everybody, which is really handy because we can go to talks and talk about layering. So all of these products. Um, Anything that you want to talk about, if it's a technical product that should breathe, um, it should be clean and you should be wearing the correct underwear underneath it. Otherwise, it won't work anyway. So you can spend Mm. what you want, wear all the wrong stuff underneath or wear it for the wrong application. That's when we're normally at a show, not talking about our brand, listening to people moaning about other brands because they think that we'll take it on. Uh, You'll be moaning too because this is someone else's kit and we'll put them right. When was the last time you washed it? When was the last time you, what do you wear underneath it? And they're, well, I don't know. It doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, 100%. And well, that's interesting. I know more than most about this because we we took the, we both did the trips to Gore-Tex in Edinburgh. Oh, what was the place called? Livingston. Livingston. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, we took people <laughs> to Livingston and we 
And we sat in with the Gore-Tex training with the dealers. So we all had a whiskey, stayed in a hotel, took them for days Gore-Tex training the next day. And you're not then talking about a brand. So people really did get behind that because you're not gotcha. saying, you need to buy a rucker jacket and here's all the training. It was actually, here's what Gore-Tex do. And equally, Simpatex do or uh, Simpatex-based linings, but they don't tell anyone. Gore-Tex gotcha. was, we will pay to bring you here. Now, I, I, I want to chat about the cleaning side of things because that's, to a lot of people, it's like a daunting task or it's just something they just won't even touch. But I know there's some questions. There's at least one question around cleaning. So I'll not bring that up now. I'll wait till we address it in a question. You mentioned there about the underwear. That wasn't something I was aware of. I didn't, I wasn't aware that what you wear underneath your protective clothing clothing has any sort of impact on it. I thought well, I thought the clothing did that for you. Yeah. There's a couple there's a couple of things it does actually. It's um first of all it's a safety thing. Secondly right. it's a comfort thing. So if you wear cotton it absorbs it absorbs moisture and you end up getting cold. Uh, and also it, it stops the breathability because it stops uh, the the warm, moist air escaping from your body just gets trapped underneath your cotton t-shirt. So that's the sort of comfort side of it. You want to wear a, a man-made polyprop or an Outlast or a merino wool, something like that underneath, depending on the weather conditions. So that's genuine. To be, yeah. I, I, I thought that was a marketing gimmick just so, to go and get base layers. But well, it's Mick's, genuine, is it? Mick's actually got a good story about that when he went to the um, XCR Gore-Tex launch, haven't you? Right. Yeah, yeah, we we did a, there was a, so when XCR Gore-Tex came out, they took us to Spain. So they approached me working for Rucker and said, right, we're we're doing a, a launch and this is going to be on enduro bikes. We're doing a day on, day enduro, heavy enduro, and the next day it's on the road. So EXC 450s, everybody was out of their comfort zone, didn't matter who they were, because they just pushed it to the point where, Right, well, we're going up hills. We're foot. My, the first thing I did was fell backwards down a hill because of the guy in front of me didn't make it. Yeah. So he came down with the bike, collected me. That was a wake up call. Five minutes in, someone dropped a helmet off of a off a cliff. You know, it just went on and on all day long. It's really tough for everybody, and right. all the time collecting clues and whatever. But um, after the whole thing, road off road, whatever, they uh, they showed us that one of the guys was wearing cotton underwear. So they had, they were basically videoing him and taking all the photographs of one individual so that they could prove to us that they were loading us up with water. They were telling us what to wear. We were neck to toe in the correct items. His kit looked like ours, but he was wearing cotton. He couldn't concentrate. He didn't do very well in any of the, in, in any of the tasks. And basically they were saying, look how red his face is. So he was boiling hot the whole time. He was uncomfortable and we were in the comfort zone. And wow. it was 20 degrees and we we're off road and the difference was he had cotton underwear and we didn't wow it was that and wow. also this year if i'm going away on, i've been on two trips this year so i've done portugal spain uh, via uh, santander two and a half thousand miles testing a um our stretch laminate suit didn't wear a waterproof made sure i had mesh underwear on for the trip when we climbed i put on a, a synthetic down to regulate my jacket so I wasn't mm. cold. They are cold because it doesn't have a lining. It's just a laminate jacket. And then I went to Outer Hebrides and then NC, back through Glencoe, pissing down with rain every single day. We did nine Good days. Scottish there. summer. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was just June. You know, June. Horrendous. Snowing. Yeah. And I refused to wear a waterproof jacket over yeah. the top. All the lads that I was riding with, 
then I got the real idea of the people that were wearing cotton and the wrong underwear. All the spares that I had went on to the people that were cold. Mm-hmm. And they said, wow, can't believe it. You know, just take all that stuff off, put this merino wool top on like a jumper, yeah. and it will pick. You've got a brand new suit on, so you're not worried about it being clogged up. And the, the difference was unreal. This is their holiday. Yeah. They've spent a thousand quid or whatever to go on this trip. And um, they were freezing cold and hate miserable. <laughs> not funny. But once yep. you've got the right gear on, the other benefit, the other benefit, the other benefit, of course, is that you can wash it in the sink in the hotel, and it will dry, be dry by the morning. Yeah. So yeah. it it is because it's because it's, it's wickable and fast drying. Then you can keep wearing that every day, so you pack less t-shirts. Essentially, uh, they don't smell as bad. Back in my sports bike days, I I always wore a merino, um, a merino wool sort of long sleeve top under my leathers. But I always just used to wear my normal boxers. But that that top but that was mainly because i didn't really think about the science behind it it was just that's what people did but i knew that when i wore the long sleeve top my jacket would come on and off easily otherwise you're standing there doing the (laughs) dislocate your shoulder to get your jacket off dance um so that's what i always wore but then once i moved on to the old fat bike on the gs and i started wearing my my textile suits i just i just wear a t-shirt and and pat me on my boxers underneath it. I've never bothered with any sort of lining. You've got to advertise your brand though, so you've got to have the uh, the T foot one, the T foot one. Shirt oh yeah, on. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to get um, away with it unless you keep okay, switching okay. in and out. <laughs> what was that? Um, the trousers are the same. The trousers are the same because if you ever wear leather trousers and you're boiling hot, you need yeah. someone to help you get them on and off, don't you? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, EDZ and companies like that were doing it years ago. Mm-hmm. They're two. We were always using it racing. Because we knew that your kit wouldn't stick to you, and it would be—it uh, it wasn't because we knew that it was wicking or whatever. We just knew that it stayed dry. If yeah. you wore your Barry, t- Barry Sheen T-shirt underneath your leathers, it would glue to you, and it would get really wet. Yeah. And thing is, now if we're doing a chat about this, we just say you just look at every single sport. Take what you're doing as a sport, even rugby. When we were kids, those horrible big cotton rugby T-shirts with the collars <laughs> yeah. on. Yeah, didn't yeah. There, you got frozen in them. They yeah. never dried, and now they weighed about eight stone when they got wet. Yeah, <laughs> and now, now you've got even the big rugby players are all wearing tech kit with a yeah, GPS yeah. in the back, and what every sport is doing it. So, mm. I also say to people, you've already got this. Just make sure that you remember who told you, because we work for Albertsons. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But gotcha. the fact is, probably already in your drawer. It's everything that's dry when you take it out of the washing machine. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not it's not like super expensive. You can get it for twenty four ninety nine, that sort of thing, or po- possibly even less um, for the sort of basic the sort of basic level one. If you want a merino, obviously it's more or an outlast or something like that, then it's more money. But the basic stuff. The other thing it will do is it will reduce some um, skin shear. So um, when you crash, when your textiles grab on your skin, mm-hmm. and it, it causes um, small abrasion, sort of abrasions on your skin, it can reduce that as well. So it's a slight safety issue as well. I mean, it's not a major one, but anything helps, I guess, when you're falling off. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as soon as you start talking about it, and well, not even explaining it, but just talking about it, it all makes sense. I feel such a Neanderthal because <laughs> I just, I just assumed, well, ah, uh, you know, I chuck on my textile suit, that everything's done. I don't need to worry about what's underneath it. You're, but, you're uh, in the majority. Don't worry. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize <laughs> that. So good. We've got something to talk about if we go to yeah. like the IAM. We'll have sixty to hundred people in the room. Yeah. Guarantee that ninety percent of them are going. Wow, I didn't understand that. 
I'm yeah. sorry, understood it didn't didn't get it. Didn't yeah, I, I I had no idea it was that that sort of important or much of an issue. What you, what you wore underneath it? Oh, okay. So don't um, tell too many people. Sorry, what was that you broke there? Don't tell too many people because obviously this is our only gimmick. keep it quiet folks keep it quiet um second more indulgent question the one downside uh what's that the one downside oh sorry i've missed out a word the one downside with it is that every jacket rst icon and alpine stars i uh, I have wears out on the velcro wrists are there firms that have tougher wrist wear or given the way riding is am I just doomed to replace jackets only wearing out in one one area? So um, poor quality Velcro. Your hand up, Mick. I would say relative to his individual question, as opposed to Velcro itself, is if you look on, just look at the jacket. I was going to mention them, but if you look at the jackets. They've got an, another zip. So if you've got a zipper on the wrist. Mm-hmm. And you've also got Velcro. You set the Velcro to the glove and then use the zip because it's stronger. So that's something that we would look out for. And when we're getting new kitting, for instance, and we're going over it, we're like, what's good or bad about this? If it's got a zip, if you've got the Velcro that goes over the zip, then uh-huh. that's, it's not as good. The zip's separate, so it sets to the gloves. So in the summer, it's tighter. In the winter, with the winter gloves, it's looser. You just do that once to set it to that glove. And then the zip gets the hammer. Ah, so, okay. So what's wrong with that jacket is the fact that it only has Velcro to do the wrist yeah. up. All the Velcro yeah. goes over the zip, which is which is yeah. wrong. Okay. Yeah, but there's a there's a very easy solution is to give a hideout leathers a call and they'll replace your Velcro. Yeah. I mean, it's that that's the that's the simple solution if he doesn't want to replace his jacket and it'll be I don't know how much give him a call but it won't be lots of money. That's a very simple operation. In fact. You could probably do it a local seamstress if it's just a flap on the on the cuff because it's not a waterproof mm. element of the jacket. So you can probably just get anybody to put a new piece of Velcro on. If it's okay. on the, it depends which way around the hook and loops are. Is the it truth. should be if the yeah. loops, uh, if the the hooks are on on the, the flap, bottom, then you're less likely to ruin the jacket as well because it all furs up, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Next to the jacket instead of the Velcro, and so get it fixed if you if you can do, and also burn it with a lighter all the fluff. Wow. Okay. Continue to go and continue to connect. Is is there a reason why a manufacturer would have the Velcro the other way around then, like the the wrong way? You're saying that the hooks should be on the bottom. Is there a reason why some manufacturers would put it the other way? Is that just lack of knowledge, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. lack of it'd be lack of care or knowledge, I would guess. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, or, or the factory got it wrong and they didn't notice. Would could yeah. be the other, the other, the other reason. So there's, yeah, there's a lot to already. There's a lot more to this than I thought. <laughs> if, we, if we've done twenty minutes on Velcro, it's going to be a long podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about how long do you have, James? How long have you got? Uh, like? Lovely. All right. Well, I've got some beers here. You've got beers. Let's crack on. Yeah. <laughs> right. Cheers for that one, Patrick. Next one, Matt Rowe Designs. My question to the lads. Would you recommend buying a pair of Kevlar-lined armoured trousers, which you can wear under any pair of jeans or trousers, or dedicated riding jeans with a Kevlar lining and armour built in? Food for thought. 
Oh, that's it, yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Wasps Nest, that one, with current uh, things that have gone on YouTube over the last six months. But anyway, we'll ignore those for now. I'll let you guys what? find them yourselves. <laughs> well, I've missed that. I've missed. Is, yeah, there, is there a bit of scandal a, going on, is there? There's not scandal. There's a couple of uh, people who've had a little argument on YouTube, a couple of people. But um, <laughs> I'll leave that for you guys to find. Okay. Um, but anyway, jeans. Uh, okay, so... Kevlar jeans on the inside will work perfectly because you're going to get a full Kevlar in a jean. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rode could probably make a set of things that goes on the inside that carries the armor and you can wear underneath. I, I wouldn't wear them because of the comfort factor. Factor. So as usual, you've got you've got two elements to all clothing. It's safety or and comfort. So if you're not comfortable, you won't be concentrating on your riding is the first problem. So if you've got right. a pair of leggings underneath with the armor and then a denim over the top of that, you've got quite a lot of material. Yeah. Protection-wise, if you fall off, it'll be great no doubt about it because you've got full kevlar but in terms of walking around off the bike as well it's going to be warm to say the least um and quite uncomfortable and quite heavy so mm. personally i would wear something uh, a, a pair of jeans that has the protection built in but you are you are probably sacrificing a bit of protection um there's two levels of sort of two ways of making a jean with protection in whether it's kevlar aramid whatever you're using um you can either weave the kevlar into the denim itself so you have a single skin, single layer gene, mm-hmm. um, and you can get them up to AAA rated, uh, or you can have a line gene. So you've got Kevlar lining inside, stitched to the inside of the gene. That's the two ways of doing it. Um, there's quite a lot of debate about what the best way to do it is. Uh, in terms of testing, you can get both in AAA. Um, my head says if you're going to fall off, you want the full Kevlar lining. Okay. Um, but the but the standard IC testing shows that they can both hit AAA. So it is difficult um, for me to uh, quantify that and actually prove either way. It's quite, it's a, it's a difficult one. You're basically deciding whether you want comfort or protection. Um, if I was going to, if you want protection, you should wear leathers. That's the, that's the truth of the, the matter as far as I'm concerned. Okay. So, well, so, so my... nothing, nothing re- in terms of protection, out and out protection, is there, mm-hmm. is there nothing that is comparable in terms of protection levels, uh, as leather, whether it's I kangaroo, I, cowhide. Grand Prix racers are still wearing dead yeah, cow, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, yeah. If, you're gonna, if you're gonna fall off, it's leather. It's yeah, a good right. qu- it's a good quality leather. Again, mm. we can get into different types of leathers. So you've obviously got kangaroo, which is lighter, can- cow, um, buffalo. Um, you can even get um leather that has a, a cotton laminated to the back of it to give it more structure so it's it's uh, stronger when you fall off. Right. Uh, which is a new technology for next year that's coming out. So it makes it really light, but very strong. It hits AAA. So it's why there's a lot of differences in leather as well. Um, but certainly if you want the strongest thing, I, th- I think it's still leather is the truth of, is the truth of it. And it's going to hold the armor protection in the right place best. It's going to breathe well, all those things. Um, so you've, you've also got the uh, the metallic element to it, haven't you, where if you've got um, uh, a leather jean with a slider on, it doesn't dig in and do soft mm. tissue damage to you or... Or wear through as 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 much. So if you put if you put a soft material down on the road and pull your shoulder or pull your knee, you 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 you're always going towards looking like a sports rider, and they are more protective, aren't they? If you're yeah. dressed like doing, then you know you're more likely to be protected. But it's a compromise. If you want full protection, get yourself a car. Get a <laughs> yeah, true, head. true. <laughs> I got to admit, when I when I wear my leathers. So, sorry, mate, go on. It's a dangerous thing that we're doing, and it's just, it's it's all compromised. Yeah. And yeah, definitely. Well, you know, the hotter it is. That I've just got some friends that are just off to um, just off to India trying to work out what the hell to wear. Yeah. And it's mesh, mesh top, 
Lightest mm. um, jeans, single layer jeans, lace up boots that are sea approved, um, and, and leather leather palmed um, motocross style gloves, not yeah. motocross gloves that are for not for tarmac. Yeah, so most of it's going to be in. You know, they're going to be riding on stones and mud, aren't they? But yeah, dirt roads. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Whereabouts in in India are they going? Uh, they're actually going to Sri Lanka. Oh wow. Mm. Oh, beautiful! Then, beautiful. Then on, yeah, for three weeks. Wow, Couple, I'm 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 just in the early stages the at the moment of. The Sorry, mate. Go say again. Ten on the bike, ten on the beach. Oh wow! <laughs> Fantastic! That sounds mega. I'm I'm just in the early stages at the moment of of tentatively looking at it doing a little. Uh, trip to india next year if i can try and do maybe a week 10 days riding over there so i don't know where yet but uh, it's just tentative seeing whether or not i can i'll be able to afford it and you know when i can go that, and when's the best time is, to go is that taking your bike or hiring one out there uh yeah i would i would look at getting a bike when i'm over there i kind of i don't i don't like to be I don't like to be one of the crowd. I don't like to be normal. Like hence hence why I took the jigsaw on the world trip was like and, and I would really like I would really like to do similar in India because I wanted to do India on on the world trip, but I just time and money just stopped me getting there basically. So I would love to see if I could get my hands on some sort of whether it's a Jixar or you know S thousand RR or something. But you know, I, I know what the practicalities are and it's all right <laughs> if it's my bike, but if you take somebody else's bike and <laughs> ride it down right. dark tracks, there's not going to be too much left of it when it the, comes to the back. classic is uh the classic is the Enfield thing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, which obviously Steph, Steph Jevons does, yeah, on the Himalaya. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like that, everyone does that, and I don't, I don't, I don't like being just one of the mill. You know what I mean? I don't sounds like, like being a, a sheep. Sounds like a C nineties on the cards for me. <laughs> but again, people do that as well, don't they? Yeah, so yeah. it would need to be something different. I don't know. That's I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just I, I just like to be different. It's got to be different. Um, I think I think something that we we need to address here, which is bound to be well, it's going to come up all through the conversation, is the different um, uh, safety ratings. You know, A, AA, AAA, all that sort of stuff. Could you explain what they are to people, please? Yeah. So uh, before uh, when was it? So ninety four, um, we had a protection thing from the uh, the EU called thirteen five nine five, and that was the PPE regulation for motorcycle clothing. Um, and essentially, um, there was only a few things that really hit that that standard. So uh, Brian over at BKS was making leathers for the police uh, mm-hmm. with thirteen five nine five. A hideout did a set. Um, Clover made a set, and a few other people. But it was extremely heavy and extremely stiff, but very protective. Um, and it, made one as well. And Halverson's, of course, yeah, they made the I safety vest. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what happened was that because the only thing in the in the EU and the UK that's mandatory is helmets, the only thing you have to wear is a helmet. Mm-hmm. So that was the only thing that had an official C, a CE standard that you had to abide by, essentially, or a BS standard before that. So um, a few years ago, the, um, the main manufacturers, well, not manufacturers, the main countries and some heads of some of the main manufacturers got their heads together. Uh, and had a big argument about what the C standard should be for motorcycle clothing. Uh, I mean, I can go through some examples that, that I'd probably get in trouble for going through about stuff that just fell apart when you fell off in it. In the old right. days, I uh, had a jacket, you could literally pull the arm off it with your own hands. Because really? there's no, yeah, you could just take the, take the whole arm off by pulling it apart in the shop. So, you, you know, it, there had to be a way of standardizing things and making sure customers were getting the right protection. 
And you st- you're still getting people selling stuff that isn't C approved on the market out there. Mm. Um, that you have no idea what the standard is on it. Um, I saw a pair of gloves recently. You can rip in half with your hands easily. Uh, that is selling on the market, but they're not CE approved. So there had to be a standard come in. Um, and what they came up with was a system of uh, A ratings uh, and then B and C ratings. I think it's B and C, uh, which is uh, 17092 is the, is the new CE standard. So AAA is, um, I won't go through all the testing procedure because it's really dull and you can look it up yourselves. But essentially they drop a piece of material on a Darmstadt machine, which is a, a spinning machine uh, mm-hmm. of concrete. And then it records a time. Uh, some people uh, call this a slide time, but it's not strictly speaking a slide time, but it's difficult to know. Um, so AAA is high, should we say enthusiastic road riding? Uh, I think <laughs> that's a fair way of putting it. For enthusiastic road riding, um, then you had AA, which is for commuter, commuter tourers. Then you had single A, which was for city riding. Uh, B is for Under Armour protective shirts. Um, so when you've got the protection built into an under undershirt mm-hmm. and then C, I think is just for, um, base layers and things like that. So with okay. no armor and no protection. Um, so in theory, a AAA product will be the most protective of all of them. It's tested in more areas for a higher abrasion resistance, a higher te- seam strength and all those things. So in theory, if you're buying a AAA product, it should be more protective than a AA product. Now the, the caveat to that, can you tell I talk very quickly? <laughs> <laughs> the caveat to that is, um, is as a manufacturer, you have to make a decision. So you make a, a jacket, you send it into um, the, the test center for testing. You don't just send it in and say, what does this hit? You have to specify what you think it'll hit. So you have to say, this is a AAA jacket. If it doesn't hit AAA, you then have to resubmit it for a AA. And that can get very, very expensive. Oh, wow. So in terms of as a manufacturer, from a financial point of view, you have to make a decision whether you just want to get stuff through, put it through A because it'll pass, or whether you want to try and hit the highest standard you can. And that's why you'll see stuff that you would assume would be a AAA or a AA showing an A because the manufacturer's decided, I'm just going to put it through an A because I need to get it through the test, guaranteed. So it is, it's still a bit of a minefield out there, what's going on with it. Um, okay. We're very lucky that the guy who decides ours is part of the board um, that, that makes the standards. Right. So he's very, very much on the case with it and, and kind of knows exactly what our products will hit and won't hit and how, how to get those standards. So that's, gotcha. that's kind of the way it is. The old, the old standard, the 13595 standard, it, it was definitely harder to hit, but it was a professional riding standard. So it was for police and people like that, not so mm. much consumers. If, if everything was tested to that standard, you'd all hate your motorcycle kit. It was extremely heavy, hard to wear. You wouldn't wear it on a scooter, for example. Gotcha. It, would just, it wouldn't be viable. Um, so people that are saying the new standard is not as good as the old standard, it's just a different way of doing it, really. Yeah. Um, trying to trying to keep it for the masses as opposed to just the people that have got £2,000 to spend on a BKF suit. Yeah, got you. So the, the new standard is, is more budget and end use. Um, what's the word? Associate, consumer? Associate. consumer. Yeah, cons- yeah, it's it's exactly yeah. So yeah. depending on what you're intending to use that kit for, there's going to be a an A rating which which is best suited to yeah. that. That's right. Um so is the A rating is that what people talk about when they say the slide rating? Because I was starting to think, oh, are there two different measurements here? Uh slide times are difficult. The A rating is an urban is an urban rating, it's down to speed speed on the road, isn't it? Yeah, a, a rating you wouldn't really want to go heavy touring in. The reason being is because you you can't really crash in it at speed. 
so it's, it's tested to uh to the to those abilities to maybe let's say 50 mile an hour the, the other thing to add to this is that you don't have generally in the uk unless the distributor has decided to you don't have a back protector in the product mm. now a lot of people will say well why haven't i got a back protector in it because if it's a decent manufacturer you've got the adjustability to use an airbag to mm. use a protector that's actually attached to your body instead of your coat so if you yeah. jump over handlebars at 50 mile an hour you've bought your jacket on ebay and you and no one fitted it out for you and it's two sizes too big even if there's a little back protector in it it's going to be underneath your armpit when you hit mm. the curb so ideally you have the same back protector as rossi's got on attached to your body with your little chest protector in yeah. and it's nothing to do with the suit but you always got those options so then you've got the levels in the back protection as well. So then you've got a, a level one and level two, and then they're T plus or T minus. So they've been tested again for the cold and for the heat. So that's something that not a lot of people know about. Yeah, there, there, there's, there's quite a lot on armor standards that, that is, is misunderstood as well. It's, a, it's a bit of a, a long one as well, unfortunately. On, but On armor? Yeah, armor and yeah. protection standards and things like that. There's a... There's a specific armor standard now, which is 1621-1 for, I can't remember what they are, dash one for back protectors, dash, nope, yeah, dash one for limb protectors, dash two for back protectors. Right. Um, and uh, then you can have level one and two. So if you look at an armor standard, which you can find on the label of everything, it's a little white label with a picture of mm -hmm. a motorbike on it. Um, then it'll have uh, level one or two and a little box below it. Uh, two basically takes twice as much impact as one. And then it'll have a T plus and a T minus after that. If it doesn't have those, so what T plus does, T, T plus and T minus, T plus means it's been tested at high temperature. T minus means it's been tested at low temperature, but they're right. voluntary standards for the um, for the manufacturers. So you don't have to put them in for those. The problem is that a lot of protectors will fail at high temperatures because they go soft and then they transmit all the shock to your body. Yeah. Um, the problem is if you if you put it in for the T plus and it only hits level one, you've got to call it a level one. Whereas if you don't put it in for that and it's level two ambient, then you can call it a level two protector. So it's always worth, taking the armor out and actually checking the armor standard on the armor and seeing if it's got those two things, especially okay, if you're touring that. and going through high and low temperatures. What, I have what, got one here, but it's hard to show you. Are, if you go somewhere where it's warm, so even 25, 25, 30 degrees, and the sun's beating on your back, you are at those. You are on high temperatures because it's inside your kit and you're sweating yeah. into it. Yeah. It's nice to have an AirTex back protector as well because it's just a solid lump on your back. So whatever you've read about your super duper jacket and the underwear it doesn't work because there's no breathability through the back protector mm. but you've still got to you know you're not thinking well i won't wear one then because yeah. i'll be more comfortable because not if you have an off and it yeah. then needs to be the right length of your actual back not just going in a little hatch which is why oh. the actual we work for has got a piece of velcro on the back of it and you can move it where you like depending, so depending on you you know where they knock you in the neck because you've got yeah. that bike and it's hitting your helmet or you can move it up and down too and gotcha. different sizes to match your back. I was I was going to ask there, you know, when you're talking about the T plus and T minus, I was going to ask about what what would what would be regarded as a high temperature and what would be regarded as a cold temperature, but you've you've answered that there, 40, Mick. Isn't it? Is it tested to plus forty? It's plus forty and minus twelve, I think. Minus 12. So I, mean, I wouldn't struggle to remember them. I, I know. Twelve, you're in trouble. Well, <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say. I know. 
I'll go out. I've been out riding at like minus 15 because I had to. I wouldn't recommend it. But I don't know many people that would be out there riding a bike in minus well, it, 12, minus the, 10. The, the reason is, is because of wind chill. <laughs> yeah. That, gotcha. That's what does it because that takes 20 degrees off sometimes. So you yeah. can easily get down to those temperatures. So that's why. Just I've got a really fairly good picture of it there. That's the arm gotcha. standard. So right, see the T you. plus and T minus? Yeah, yeah. You can look for that on any of your protectors and any of your jackets. And if it hasn't okay. got that on it, you're really in trouble. I'm gotcha. going to speak to your retailer. <laughs> 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 Sorry, mate. What were you saying there, Paul? Yeah, I was just saying that um, your shoulder armour is likely to get down to that, isn't it? Because it's it's actually getting the wind pressure yeah. on the back behind you, isn't it? So yeah. you're, you're definitely going to get colder here. As soon as mm-hmm. your core gets cold, then you're in trouble, which is yeah. why we're talking about wearing down jackets as well. Mm-hmm. concentration absolutely and as you, as you said there ed about um wind chill uh, you'd be surprised folks at how at how easy it is to get to like zero or below well below temperatures you know it might be five degrees out there but if you're doing 60 70 80 mile an hour you know there's a considerable amount, amount of wind chill that, that gets added to that and uh yeah it's going to be bloody cold it used on, to be a chart on the outside was it called Windstopper? Yeah, they did, yeah. they did a little chart that if you're at this speed, this is actually the temperature that you're at. Yeah, I remember. I, 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 sorry, to, sorry, mate. There's a wee delay on these Zoom calls, mate. So yeah, we always end up chatting <laughs> over each other. Sorry, man. What were you saying? Yeah, I was just saying about that little chart. We need to bring that back. It was really yeah. interesting. If people are running in the winter, mm-hmm. if you're zero, it's minus fifteen or something at seventy yeah. mile an hour. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? Because I, I, I have this fact from from the the world trip when I was in Canada. We got hit by a really. I teamed up with this other guy because it was so cold, and for about three, four, five days, we had this really bad weather front hit. It was like April, May time, but I remember it got to minus thirty eight when we were riding across with wind chill. So it was only, I mean, it was like minus five, minus six, something like that. But at speed with what we were doing, we sort of Googled it and it was minus 38 it was the equivalent of riding in it. It's like, bloody hell, no wonder it was Baltic. <laughs> and and I, was, I was literally in leathers. I was wearing leathers on the jigsaw. <laughs> that was it. Well, one way of being able to tell about your armour is that, that sort of prove the, the point is if you leave it in the garage overnight and you try and put your jacket on mm-hmm. and it's really stiff. So it just shows yep. you how much the, the molecular sort of structure of it can change. So yep. yeah, if you leave it, if you leave your back protector in the garage and try and... Uh, fold it in the winter it'll just snap it off that's right work so yeah so it's always worth just checking those labels it was interesting mick what you were saying about sizing as well with the armor because um i I was i was over at roadskin at tunbridge wells uh recently doing a, a little chat with them and um they have some jeans out and my problem with motorbike jeans is that they're almost like skinny fit you know they always seem to be made for people out there with skinny legs and I've got rugby player legs. I've got big thighs and big calves and a fat gut as well. But um, theirs were okay, but I still found them really tight around the calves. So I was saying to them, you know, I I don't suppose, do you do like a baggy fit, a loose fit? Because that's the sort of jeans I like, like my normal jeans. And he said to me, he said, well, you need to watch that because if you have loose fit, then there's so much room for the armour to move if you were to come off. And then the armour's not where it should be. You're just going to end up getting hurt. I hadn't even thought about that. My Luddite brain just didn't comprehend any of that initially. Well, if you if you initially hit the floor, then mm. they're probably in the right place because right. you were sat down. So yeah. if you went through the screen and over the handlebars, 
and bang your legs on the floor. Like if you ride, you're in this industry and you ride a motorbike, you'll understand. But mm-hmm. then if you scrape your legs on the floor, it'll turn the gene round. And then again, when I'm talking about things like curbs, that's mm-hmm. the next thing coming at you. Yeah. You're not going to get the second hit. The yeah. armor will take it. Oh, most of the uh, the molecular armor now is it's it's not got that kind of plastic inside it. It's not it's not ruined. It doesn't take one hit. But if it's not in the right place, it doesn't work. It's not going to do the job. Yeah, nope. interesting. Cut off you anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sadly, <laughs> it does, doesn't it? No. <laughs> Uh, next one, Stu L. Hi to you all. Hope these questions find you fitting well. My first question, what do you think has been the one best improvement or invention in the motorcycle safety clothing in the last 20 years? 20? Yep. <laughs> Discuss. I mean, it, you, you've probably got to say it's the airbag, haven't you? I, I, I would say. For most, it's, it's such a good invention that works so well now mm-hmm. and is actually usable. It's got to be that, I think, because helmets haven't haven't progressed that far in the last twenty years. Really, you're still using mm. uh, the, the the same sort of structure of um, the the EPS with the hard the hard gel over the outside. Um, protectors have moved on. You know, they're much softer. They used to be, they used to be very hard, uh, and now they absorb a lot more shocks. So they're very good, but really, I think the biggest has got to be the airbag protector. Yeah, it, it does work so well. If, if it, well, I remember when we used to when we first started saying, them, people said, well, "What if it doesn't go off?" Yeah. Well, you've still got the protectors. You've still you haven't lost out if it doesn't go off. Yeah. But now it, it goes off. You know, ninety nine percent of the time they just work. So I think I think it's, it's got to be one of the one of the best illustrations of of how good airbag technology. It's got to be the Marquez high side, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. I mean, that was what two hundred mile an hour or something. He was near enough two hundred miles an hour, and he he yep. thumped. Was it twenty seven Gs or twenty six Gs? He hit yep. the ground with the equivalent force, and he got up and walked yep. away from it. I mean, all right, at, he's he's pretty fucked from it, but yeah. <laughs> well, you'd be dead normally. Wouldn't <laughs> once, wouldn't it? <laughs> he'd have got a bit more hurt when yeah, yeah. he back. I mean, oh, I mean if you look at Quattararo's one as well the other week, mm. where it went off and his his leather's actually opened. Mm. You know that he'd have been he'd arguably been doing. Did been you dead. hear? Um, yeah. Here this yeah. week, there were. Um, I I read this week that they were saying that there won't be an opening at the front of the leathers next season. Oh, really? Because so of that? Because of what happened? Yeah, because of that burst. So I don't know how they're going to do that, but that's what I read, is that there won't be an opening at the front. Wow. Quattro is one of those people that he's got chest protector in, but he never wears any underwear at all, does he? And he's no, skinned himself. He's bare-chested, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, that doesn't... It still would be, wouldn't it? But, um, <laughs> you know, there's the zip burst, the zip burst. He's had the zip come undone. He undid his own zip to take the chest protector out, throw it away and try and do the zip up again, didn't he? <laughs> I think he had a pit. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. There was there was footage of it, wasn't there? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I didn't. One, going back to uh, innovation, really simple innovation in the last say twenty years is a drop down visor. And there's oh, a lot. Right. Of, um, is that actually safe? Because there's a gap. Or what? But we used to have to change them from black to clear, didn't we? And there mm. were people at night that were, were driven into a wall with a black visor on, and were yeah. no more. So, yeah. you know, just to flick that down, safety-wise, you can't see. You've got a clear yeah. visor. You might have scratches on it. Um, a, a car comes towards you. You, you can't. You can't see in the in the dark. It's black. Yeah. You know, you just lifted it up, didn't you, and squinted. I mean, 
I, that's exactly what I do. I I wear a dark visor all the time, and people always ask in comments like, "How do you see at night wearing that?" And it's it's something I've always done. But when it does get really dark, I just flip the visor up, and you know, you, you literally ride like that, don't you? And just pray mm-hmm. nothing hits you in the eye. But that's um, the old school. I've got an arrow and I I changed my visor and I've had to learn to change the new one, which is really tough, I think. But um, I got why are RI so difficult with the visors? I just I can't buy an RI because I'm just like really made lots of noise and they were before now they've made a new I I just can't I I can't get my I can do it, but I don't know how I did it. Yeah, yeah, I need less. Is it the TT? How do they do it so quick at the TT? It's like. Well, I, my mates, I remember when my some some mates of mine um, bought RI helmets, and to a man, when it came time to, to change visors, they just snapped the pod, you know, the pod bits at the end, at the end of the visor. You have to take them off, don't you? And then the visor come off. They would just snap. So so it was just like, they just never bothered changing the visor anymore. In, in, the, old days, in the old days, you used to be able to just grab the visor and rip it off on an yeah. RI. It was really easy. Once you were confident with it, it was really oh, okay. easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you had to be really confident to, yeah. to do it. Um, the, other, a, the other, the other innovation. Man. Man. It's good, it's good, it's good <laughs> as anything. Yeah, yeah. Can't go wrong. And um, the other innovation stuff really is uh, there's a lot of textile innovation in terms of uh, uh, exterior materials and um, more abrasion resistance, all that sort of thing. So uh, super fabric, um, which is little ceramic guard plates on the exterior of products, which allow you to slide better. Mm-hmm. Um, you've You've got Armour Core on, on, which is a Gore product, which is a Kevlar overweave high art, which we use, which is a sort of a terry cloth material that goes underneath, which increases the abrasion resistance. There's all these sort of things that have come along, uh, but they're all sort of small iterations, sort of like a Volkswagen Golf. It just gets a little bit better every time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I said the drop-down sun visors, obviously good for that sort of thing, but none of us three wear them, but that's, <laughs> you might have one, haven't you, in your ADV, maybe. Uh, there's not one in my in the shoey. There's oh, no, got... yeah, they're they're two shoey lids. Um, I'm, oh. I I just like the hornet. I like the okay. I like the adventure look. To be honest, I used to wear that on the sports bike. I was one of those dickheads. But um, <laughs> yeah, I, I just I just no. like I like shoeys. They fit my they fit my head, and uh, yeah, that's yeah, the, the lid I always go for. Um, something that was popped in my mind was I remember when Knox. Remember the Handroids. The Knox Handroids came on the scene, That's and they cool. had that scaphoid protection, and like it was, you looked like Robocop, <laughs> didn't you, with this with this glove on? But I had some mates that raced, and they started wearing the first Handroids when they came out. And I remember one of them had a big off, and he said, from from his perspective, he definitely felt like that. It's like a slider that you had down. Was it a slider down on the yep. palm there? He's, yeah, he said that. He reckons he definitely would have broke his wrist if he didn't have that on it. Mm-hmm. And you see yeah. them on the road all the time now, don't you? Like loads of road riders. I, I used to wear handroids. They, well, I literally wore them till they fell apart. I, I thought they were great. Um, yeah, so little things like that. Maybe not so much shoulder sliders for the road, but... <laughs> yeah, it's the same. It's a similar situation. You just keep, mm. the, keep the body moving and don't don't stop it suddenly because it mm. sets the energy. I've got a friend that crashed the Lambretta teaching to ride one really, but it, it, it was very <laughs> slow, 10 mile an hour. Someone darted out in front of him. He put his hand on the floor and he did, he broke his scaphoid and on his, on this, on the owner, he broke um, the top and the bottom joint. So he had three months off work and, and 10 I, miles an hour. Yeah. Just so it, like a push bike crash, he yeah. put his, his full force of his body through his hand that mm. stuck to the road because he had 
he insisted on always wearing waterproof gloves, so he just had one. Mm. And they were just, you know, normal leather. So this always used to happen, but the technology has moved on, hasn't it? So you've got the scaphoid protector. Yeah. I was telling him about it and just saying, look, just get two, maybe three pairs of gloves. You do have to spend some money, I imagine, but you're mm. going to keep them for a decade, get some racers, um, which he did when he bust his arm. Mm. He's got racer gloves from Austria. They, they've got the protection on and, and on the outside. Mm. So now he's done it. And that's there's two ways to learn, isn't there? Well, if yeah, you're in sadly. A broken leg, if someone says, look, give me 500 quid and I'll give you the proper trousers to wear and, and they fit you, you give them the money, wouldn't you? Mm. Yeah. These guys are just doing it afterwards. Oh, I've broken that. I'll now protect it. Yeah. It does it does make me laugh sometimes when people people go, you know, what is the cheapest lid I can buy that that passes the basic safety sort of standards? And I'm just like, I mean, if there's one bit of kit where I'll spend money, it's on my lid, surely. You know, like uh, you've got to get the bit. I, I had a Shoei Xperit, was it Xperit 1, the first Xperit, or it might have been 2. No, it was 1. It was the first Xperit, Shoei Xperit. And I was in Germany before I went away on the, the big trip. 2011 it was. And I, had a, I had a massive off, my own fault. I was riding like a complete cock. And I I I hit the curb. I, I had a low side going around the corner. And I slid along on my back in my leathers. And my head smashed into the curb. And, it, and I basically like just like a barrel round, went up in the air and off the side of the mountain and ended up, I should have died, ended up in some trees. But my lid, when my mates got hold of my lid, it was like someone had taken an axe to it. It was cut from inside. It was cut from here to the crown, just totally split like that. But I, I felt all right. I was a wee bit dizzy, but I felt okay. And you're like, if you didn't have that standard of protection on your head, you'd definitely be dead. Definitely, without a shadow of a doubt. So yeah, I, mean, I will always spend my money on that. EC twenty two oh five now twenty two oh six, which is the helmet standard is um you know I, I love bet my you're numbers. fun at parties, really you, fun. Yeah, <laughs> I have to know these things. Hello. That's why I say it because I know Mick, I know Mick doesn't know the numbers, so I have to say. <laughs> um, Excuse me for interrupting, folks, but it is sponsor shout out time, and this month we have a new sponsor. Welcome to Travel Escapes. Now I've got some blurb to read out. Travel and Escape is an independent travel agent. They are ABTA and at all protected for your peace of mind for hassle free tailor-made holidays from staycations, day experiences, cruises, luxury holidays, and so much more. You can find them all on the socials or book directly online using the link. Now, folks, I'll leave all their socials and a website link down below. Make sure you check that out. If you're watching a video, have a look at the vid description. If you're listening to the podcast, check out the show notes. There will be hyperlinks there. Make sure you give them a click, a follow, a like. And if you're looking for a little break for you and the loved one, you and the family, you and whoever, or maybe just you yourself, make sure you check out Travel and Escape. We are also sponsored by Inov. Now, Inov have been a long-term sponsor for the main channel over on Teapot One, but they're also helping out and sponsoring the podcast. So a massive thanks to them. Inov specialise in motorcycle dash cam systems. They do uh, the front and rear uh, dual camera K-series. That's the K3 and the flagship K5. K3 is 1080 front and rear. K5 is 4K at the front, 1080 at the rear. The K5 also has much faster Wi-Fi. So both the K3 
and K5 utilize a, a mobile app where you can view your footage, you can change settings, you can share on socials, you can have a look at your GPS overlay, all this sort of stuff. Both do the job if you just simply want a dash cam. If you ever get involved in an accident, the first thing your insurance is going to ask is, is there any CCTV? And obviously, if you have one of these systems fitted, then you can turn around and go, yes, I do. And if you head to inov.co.uk and use the code teapot, you'll get 5% off of all Inov and Techologic cameras. So a massive thanks to Inov. And lastly for this one, we're also sponsored by Ultimate Add-ons. Now, Ultimate Add-ons, they make dustproof and shockproof mobile phone uh, cases and action camera mounts. They will fit just about every single bike out there. Me, personally, I always use the Helix strap mount because it means I can easily attach that to just about any bike that I'm uh, riding at that time. I can jump on and off on bikes and just easily unscrew the, the strap, whack it on the next bike, tighten it all up, and off I go. It's very versatile. I've had no vibration issues affecting my camera using the Helix strap. That's the one that I will stand by and swear by. Been using it about five years now. So again, if you head to Ultimate Add-ons, that's Ultimate with A-D-D-O-N-S, ultimateaddons.com. If you use the code TEAPOT110, so T-E-A-P-O-T-O-N-E with the number 10, you'll get 10% off all ultimate add-ons. Okay, that'll do us for now. Let's get back to the podcast. The helmet standards, we always used to say it's just an MOT. Yeah. Just like an MOT on your car or your bike. It doesn't make it a Ferrari. Okay. It, it, you know, it, it's the very basic passing procedure. I, I think 2206 is better now, but certainly 2205 was, yeah, pretty a pretty basic pass, really. Mm. I mean, there were there were loopholes in it that manufacturers could uh, could look into and really build their helmets around the standard. So there were areas right. of the helmet that if you landed on them, you'd be in trouble. But when you're okay. buying a proper brand like Shoeberth, Shoei, Arai, whatever, they are testing so far above those standards yeah. that, that you're getting a much better quality product. If you buy a 50 pound helmet, you know, yeah. that isn't costing much to manufacture. <laughs> so yeah. they're not testing past any standards. It's just about hitting it normally. Got you. So that's, have, you that's what I would say. have you heard of the helmet inspection company? Martin, well, Martin Sloy. I've watched your podcast on them. Yeah, <laughs> that was really interesting having him on. I've had a, I've had a lot of people who, um, particularly from the clan, from my patron, who've who've used it. They've sent their like what they thought was an old typical bikers, isn't it? It's like mm, do I spend another four or five hundred quid, or can I get another season out of this? And they've sent that up, and it's come back either yes or no, and you know they're full of glowing reports on it. And said, yeah, great. It's either yeah, all right, it's made me go and spend the money to get a new lid, or happy days, so I can get another year out of this thing. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get sued or anything. But I, yeah. I would, I've always basically said, if it falls off, you know, your your bike because you put it on the seat, like he said in his, that's mm -hmm. why he started the company or whatever it was. Um, the the likelihood of that helmet being okay is quite high because you haven't got your head inside it hitting the EPS and gotcha. then condensing the EPS of so the shell and the EPS is probably going to be okay. Right. If you fall off with your head in it and hit your head, your head then decelerates into EPS, condenses the EPS down, and then you're probably in trouble. So gotcha. really, when your head's in it. That's when there's going to be a problem, but yeah, right. I, don't don't quote me on that. I'll say I took the bloke on the podcast told me it was okay, but uh, Martin will be down at your house before you do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that, one that's the, one of the worrying things as a retailer was the fact that people used to come in and say my helmet's all right because it's polycarbonate and it wasn't split. Right. Um, yeah, that's relative, isn't it? Is the EPS underneath has already taken the hammer and it's yeah. flat and it's now not got any um, bounce value to it. And if yeah. they took the outside of a, a a fiber helmet it had a split on it so it was obvious well this is fine look at the outside so you mm. turn it inside out 
yeah. um, and then feel it. And it was all soft inside. So you could feel the soft areas exactly where they'd hit their head. Yeah, yeah. And basically, if you've got that kind of helmet and you spent a couple of hundred quid on it, you really find it difficult to fix your head. <laughs> you know, my my leg was next to my head. I broke my femur that bad. I could see the bottom of my shoe. If oh, no. <laughs> but it's back, it's fixed, and I can run. But if that, if I did that kind of damage to my skull, yeah, I'd be in trouble, wouldn't I? Yeah, granted, granted. So, well, I think so, like, some people would be all right, but you know, spend the money, look at the spec, keep it, yeah, keep it light, Mick, keep it light. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, Stu's got a second question. What are your thoughts on air vests for normal road riding? Get one built into a jacket, over the jacket, or under the jacket, or get decent armor instead. Well, this is going to be topical. <laughs> well, someone um, wasn't there. Someone in the someone was in the paper this week. As uh, saved a policeman's life, and it was an external one, wasn't it? Hell, right. he light, he light, he light. Yeah. I've got, I've got one uh, of the he e vests. Yeah, they've given me one to to try. So that's an external. Yes, yeah, yeah. I wear that over. I wear a rucksack over the top of it as well, because I always wear a rucksack. I just always yeah. have done. So I was like, I was a bit reticent about getting it because I thought. I won't be able to wear the rucksack, but they were like, no, you can, you just have to loosen the rucksack off, but you can still wear one over the top. So that's what I do. So that, that, that had some really good press this week because they were in the, um, don't use oil protests. Uh, there were two slow moving, uh, slow moving trucks that had crashed into each other and took out a police biker. Wow. And I think he'd ended up in the barriers and they said he was wearing a hideout suit and, uh, he like airbag and they said it definitely saved his life. Brilliant. But yeah, I think it's, I, it can't be a bad idea. It's a bloody good idea, and you just absolutely. work out what you want to wear. Yeah, I think airbag wise, if you in terms of which spec you're going to go for, um, obviously um, the e vest is a non wired one, right? From yeah, like. yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you're not tethered yeah. to the bike. Yeah, yeah. So that's obviously the better way of doing it. It's a bit more faff because you've got to make sure it's charged and everything. Obviously, yeah. um, is the negative and updated and all that sort of stuff. And some of them have subscriptions, even that you've got to pay every month. That's really? sort of, yeah, yeah. Some of them, some of the ones do, some of them don't. And uh, uh, but I would say um, whichever one you go for, it kind of depends on whether you want to buy a new jacket or not. If you've got a stiff jacket that fits you tight, you can't put one underneath. So go for one over the top. Mm. If you've got a jacket that has stretch in it um, that allows for an airbag to go underneath, put one underneath because then you've got your jacket over the top with all the reflective bits and the uh, abrasion-resistant material and all that sort of thing on the outside as well. So it really depends what jacket you've got and whether you want to buy a new one. So mm. um, I don't want to turn it into a sales thing, but we have got a couple of jackets now. Um, our parent company is the distributor for Alpine Stars in the Nordics. Mm-hmm. So we've developed our jacket to work with some airbag vests underneath it. Um, so we've actually got a few jackets that uh, have enough stretch in to allow the airbag to go off underneath now. Wow. Um, built ready. into it, airbag ready jackets. So about three or four of the ones behind me are airbag ready now. So and I think more manufacturers will go that way so that they they can accommodate an airbag underneath it, which gives you more choice. I was away to yeah. ask that. Like, where do where do you see? this going in terms of the majority of, of bike kit out there, is it all going to start being accommodating for the likes of air vests? Because the prices are all coming down for air vests. They used mm-hmm. to be, I mean, there's still a lot of money. The Helite, I think is still five, 600 quid, I think for the E, the E version. Maybe mm-hmm. it might not even be that much, but it's, it's a chunk of change. It's a fair chunk of cash, but they used to be, just unreachable for normal everyday riders, didn't they? The airbags were the domain of the the big racers. Yeah, I think it's going to go. It's, it, 
what will happen is you've got a few manufacturers. So you've got Alpine Styles, Denny's, obviously, mm-hmm. have all the feedback from racing. So they can, yeah. they can work out the algorithms. They've been doing it. I, I can't imagine how long Alpine Styles has been. It must be 15 years they've been working on it. Weirdly, I think it was a Scottish guy that was over there when I went over there showing us it. Anyway, right. So the story, but um, so they've been working on it for a long time, and they've got all the races crashing, so they've got all the information. Yeah. So then you've got a company called InMotion who does a lot of the electronics for all the other brands. Really, I don't know who he like uses off the top of my head. I'd have to check. Um, so what will happen is you'll either use uh, one of these third party companies to make your vest for you, or you'll have the top race team ones because they have the information of crashing. Yeah. So all the other brands, including our one, will build jackets around the stuff that's on the market is, is probably the way it'll go. Um, and then in terms of whether you have to wear one on the road or not, which is everyone's concern because, you know, free country and all that sort of thing, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, yeah. that depends on the insurance companies, I would guess. Yes. yeah. I would, I would say that. that's all in the hands of the insurance companies because I don't think they'll, um, I don't think the politicians will get involved in that side of things. So The, the other thing is pushed by the retailers. If you look yeah. at uh, the way that it's going at the moment, you've got, fewer and fewer retailers based on the fact that, you know, how much does it cost to open up a store? And then you've got to be really good at it. And there are groups and we're well-trained uh, staff. If they decide to put five on the row with every size on and, and that that individual that's selling it, selling you a £2,000 suit because now the average age of a bike was 50-odd uh, upwards, they've mm. got the money if they want to be. If you can convince them that this is what they need and to, and to stay safe and it's not too much of a fat, um, so if it is becoming easier to use, more um, uh, user-friendly, then I don't think the money's got anything to do with it. I think people are still going to spend £1,500 on the best suit. And equally, you know, maybe at the £500 market, if you've got 350 quid to protect yourself, it's the same as saying, well, would I buy a £700 helmet or would I buy a £200 helmet? Mm. You're definitely going to be safer if you're wearing an airbag, but it's down to the specialist that's flogging it to you. If the guy's not interested in it and didn't even show you one and they're out mm. the back, there's going to be fewer people in them. Yeah. There's yeah, but I mean, people, pe- you're always, you will always get people who want everything for nothing, just like you get people who who think nothing of spending a couple of grand you know you you, you always get that and it and it what i've found is it doesn't it doesn't really have much to do with somebody's like status or or financial income it's just people just have either they're either people that will spend money or they're people that won't spend money whether they've got a million quid or four quid in the bank money on that. so yeah, yeah, but, we we see it where they've got a 25,000 pound bike yeah and yeah. The kit until yeah. they crash and then yeah. they come and say, right, what do I wear? Absolutely. Okay. Or they go on a trip and, and it rains every day and they get wet yeah. for a, a two weeks. Absolutely. And after them. <laughs> I've got I've got to admit that's that's that is the reason, you know, I've I, I went I went with the, the competition. I, I bought a, a Rucker jacket, the Navala jacket, <laughs> purely because I, I used to be in the old bill, obviously, and all my mates in the old bill were all rucked up and they were all ranting and raving about rucka. And I was like, forget that. I'm wearing my, my leather suit. That's all I'm going to wear. So we'd go away on trips and I would get boiling hot, freezing cold, soaking wet. But I didn't mm-hmm. care because I am not putting on a rucka suit, you know, so forget <laughs> that. Well, then, um, then I saw that Infinity were doing 0%. So it's like, well, okay, what is it? 70 odd quid a, a, a month. Okay, I can get one of these two grand bloody suits. So I did. I got it. And it, you know, when you spend money on a decent kit, the difference is phenomenal, isn't it? It really is incredible. So 
that that suit's an interesting one because it's their best selling suit ever. Is it? Because it's stretchy. So the fit is so good and it's so comfortable. Yeah. yeah. So it, it's it's by far their best selling suit. It's fantastic. It's a great suit. Do you know what I think is the best thing ever about that suit? It's the down jacket that comes with it. Oh, it's it's amazing. It's got a synthetic down underneath it. It Yeah. Down X in it. Yeah. But but you've still got to stop wearing your cotton T-shirt and then then it'll be even better. (laughs) Right. I'm going to have to go out and get myself some base layers. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, that down jacket is awesome until your idiot dog jumps up and takes a claw or paw down it and opens it up. So I've now got this lovely uh, rugged puffer jacket with gaffer tape all down one arm. (laughs) You know, with that jacket, you've got two little zips around the sleeve and you can tuck the sleeves inside and there's a little pocket for it sitting so you can turn it to a gilet. No, I didn't know that. No one, no one knows. It's a little secret <laughs> oh, wow. that no one told anyone. I never. I saw. I saw the little zips and thought, mm-hmm. "What is that? Is that some weird European styling? What is it?" If you look inside the jacket in here, there's two little pockets, and that's where the arms sit in, so you can wear it as a gilet. I never knew that. No one knows, as I say. Then it won't look like your dog's attacked it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you can buy a new one for two hundred pounds or whatever they are now. Yeah, like I know. Yeah. I know. I'm, I know. I'm a YouTuber, but I haven't <laughs> found these YouTube millions yet. I tell you that. <laughs> on the way. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. I hope so. One day, maybe. Uh, right. Nice one. Cheers to that, Stu. Next one, uh, Reverend Al. Hi, guys. I work selling motorcycle clothing and gear for a big retail company. This encompasses the full range of gear to suit everyone's budget. Most UK guys are longer in the body and shorter in the legs, but most regular length trousers are too long and most jackets sit about two to three inches too short. Larger larger sizes for guys that have fuller figure are difficult in the better quality gear unless it's rucker generally. Is this because it's made in the Far East or just economy and manufacture? It's a decision that's made at the manufacturer level. It's it's not to the economy or... um that sort of thing. It's a really difficult one. I mean, that that sounds like one of our retailers that we deal with writing because he bangs on about short legs every day to Mick, doesn't he? He's one of Mick's best friends as well. So <laughs> he's always banging on about short legs. But we get it all the time. It's, we get it all the time, uh, they're, yeah. They're now manufa- they're, we're, we're banging on to our manufacturers and everyone that I've ever worked for because I'm, I'm only five foot eight and I have mm. got 30 inside legs. So I'm not like the guys that are 28, but I'm still in that margin. I, mm. I put leg jean on they fit me perfectly yeah. and it's a safety thing if you think oh i'd be all right you know when i sit on the bike and the knees in the, my knee armor's in the correct area it's not yeah because if you jump off and they get pulled they're in the wrong place again you hit the curb so i would suggest that it's not that there is there isn't a small amount of manufacturers that do short leg you just got to look for them you got to ask we're, oh, okay. we're, we generally won't really be selling a specific gene if it doesn't come in a short leg because the dealers either want short leg only or both. Mm-hmm. So it is a good, it's, it's we, not kind of, oh God, there's a whinging guy. It's actually, <laughs> it's actually true. He's absolutely bang yeah, on. Yeah, I mean, we, we're, we're about 50 50, I would say, is in the UK, short and standard legs. It's about 50 50. Yeah, so right. it, is, it is important. But if you look at the, the Dutch, Belgian, um, a lot of the Nordics manufacturers, they're all very tall people. I mean, yeah. if you've ever been to a Dutch airport, you know, you feel like a hobbit yeah, looking around there. And I'm I'm five eleven. I feel tiny out there. So, um, yeah. So they're they're making longer stuff. I don't know what the Italians' excuse is. Um, <laughs> but, but spiddy leathers. I mean, like I I, I had a TV show. Like, sorry to interrupt. Apologies. Right. Um, I had the TV show gig last year, and we got um, 
the show was sponsored by Ferry Dax. So, mm-hmm. you know, basically we were invited in and you had to pick uh, like a track set of kit, a touring set of kit, and a casual set of kit. And it was like, this is the best supermarket sweep <laughs> ever. So straight in, like, speedy leathers. I was like, yes, finally, I'm going to get myself a one-piece leather suit, <laughs> proper, proper one. Not a chance. I'm a 52 chest, six foot three, not a hope. Just, no. Speedy, no. Didn't fit. I was like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Magic, thanks. They um, used yep. to do bigger sizes, but they've stopped. They've stopped doing them now. Because it's such a small market. The race suit market is yeah. so small. So yeah. they, they've got to cut their costs. I would imagine that's what that is. I, I can just about dominate. shoehorn myself into a, I've got a Spiddy from about four years ago that I bought and I could just squeeze into that if I, you know, for a track day, but they don't do them anymore. So yeah. RSD were, were doing made to measure, weren't they recently for customers? They opened their yes. race service up for the customers. Yes. I think it was about 1500 quid, something like that. Something like that. For, yeah, for the yeah. suit, I think it was. So it might be a bit tough for some people to swallow for a couple of track days a year <laughs> yeah. as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, the other, the other thing to be careful with with uh, clothing sizing is that the Northern Europeans and the Southern Europeans take a different measurement. So you really do have to try it on. You can't just say I'm a 52 or a 50 chest or whatever it is. You have to actually go and try the jackets on because the Italian stuff take a lower measurement than the Northern Europeans. So it doesn't fit the same. So that's oh, one reason right. it won't ever fit. So when you look at a, a Rucker or a Halverson side, it, size, a 50 will be quite quite big, whereas an Italian will be slightly smaller than that. So mm. you have to be a bit careful with that. But yeah, in terms of short legs, we're absolutely on the same page as you, the guy wrote in. I'd love to know who, who that is now, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I bet <laughs> we know him from somewhere. <laughs> He's just known as Reverend Al. Oh. We'll probably, find out. Yeah, I was going to say, out. just bang that name around and see, well, see him. We, we do every gene we do in um, a short leg and a standard and some in a long as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's normally about seven centimeters difference between a standard and a short leg. Um, but most retailers are just going to stock one or the other and then order the other ones in for you. So it's always worth speaking to the guys behind the counter and saying, is there a short leg version in this? And then you can, you can work out whether it's going to fit you once you've tried mm-hmm. the standard on, because the fit otherwise will be, pretty much the same so try the standard or the short web they've got and see what the difference is how much you need off and on and go mm. from there um ours has got adjustable armor in as well and some other manufacturers have got two or three different pockets so again when you try it on check the inside to see if you can move the armor to get it in the right set, right place as well gotcha. so there's lots of these little things that if you're buying online which obviously a lot of people do now you might never know there's a pocket for armor to move you might just put them on and go they don't fit mm. <laughs> so yeah. so it's it's well, just it worth speaking you just Sorry? stuff that doesn't fit or you just wear it anyway. Yeah. And you're just going, well, whatever. I'll just lift them up a bit, which is Can the I... thing. We want specialists. We want we want people to have to go to shops to, to be kitted out. Yeah, definitely. I, I did a thing on um on, on my channel about getting fitted for a full lid for, for, for the lid and, and I did it with sports bike shop purely because so many people, so many people just go to a shop, get the size, don't buy it, go online. That's it. Buy it online, don't they? But it was like you get so much more if you go to a shop that's got properly trained staff in it. So I went there and was like properly fitted for the lid. And it's totally different than if I just walked into a shop, I would be like, put that, put the lid on, do that. This will do me. That's fine. <laughs> Job done. But, you know, they were looking at all different things, the fit, how it looked from them looking at me. They could tell if the, the lid fit properly. I don't know. It was, it was really quite... Um, enlightening i think the word is most people buy them slightly too big yeah um, because they but they buy them to fit when they're new 
And then when they give, they start wobbling around and pulling That's on the right. back of the head and pulling on the neck strap. That's it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you also have to be careful that you don't get that digging sensation on the sort of yeah. your temples and stuff. So it yeah. is it is difficult. And a retailer will actually argue with you if they're any good when you're trying to get the bigger one and that you can put your hand up the front. Yeah. So the top's got to fit, but the, it's the hamster cheeks, isn't it? A lot. Yeah. So I can't even get it on. I'm not even trying it. Go on, go on, do it. Yeah, get on. Like I said you get the you get the proper experience. You might even come in to buy a helmet because you like the colour, and mm-hmm. they took you out of the actual shell that you wanted. Yeah. Is it you not safe? The, you- the other thing to, to mention is that um, for like, the female viewers, is it's quite common for women to feel claustrophobic in helmets because they have better peripheral vision than we do, so they can see the edge of the helmets. So it's just if if women are aware of that, then it's easier for them to get a helmet that fits correctly. Because quite often they'll put a helmet on and get claustrophobic very quickly, and men don't. It's just a difference in biology. So um, for people that are running shops, be a little bit more patient with women sometimes because they can see the edge of the helmet and it's weird. Yeah, I never knew that. Worth knowing. I never yeah. knew women had the different field of vision too. Yeah, they. As a gen, it's a generalization, obviously, mm. but generally they can see more this way. I mean, if I was guessing, it's because we're out hunting and they're protecting maybe yeah. I guess <laughs> but you'd have to ask a uh, evolutionary biologist I guess yeah 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 that's it all seeing <laughs> exactly. isn't it that's what it is all seeing you know everything that's going on that'll be why they run a mile before I get anywhere near them yeah. um <laughs> I was going to ask about the general fit in terms of say motorcycle jeans. What what is what's the correct fit for the like the knee armor? Because sometimes I know when I when I've been wearing jeans and I'm sat on a bike, whether that's a sports bike or a, another bike, you know, when your legs bent, mm-hmm. the armor isn't all over my kneecap. So should, should it be. should be it should be right over the kneecap. There's a slice in the armor. And that's that is the middle of your kneecap. The the armor does this, doesn't it? It will yeah. actually take it out, and it's got a slice in it. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's the middle of your knee. It should be stood up in the jeans with your legs straight, right on the middle of your knee. Not well, you know. When you get your boots on, mate, it'll be fine. Gotcha. Because of because of the aggression of hitting the target, the tarmac, they need to stay there. And like you, your man told you that um, they need to fit tight. The armor needs to be in the correct place. You have got the hip mm-hmm. armor as well. That's right on the neck of your femur. Yeah. So, so say the cut is the is the thing right in the middle of the armor. So do you do you size? Do you determine the fit and the size depend uh, from when you're standing? So you put the jeans on when you're standing and look at the armor, or is it when you're sat on a bike? I'd imagine well, the it's thing st- is about stood the bike up. Is you're making sure they're comfortable. If you've got too much mm-hmm. impact on the kneecap, you know from doing massive mileage. I know from yeah. just this year. I think I've done five thousand miles abroad and then um, if you if you sat there and you've got that impact it doesn't have to be much you're wiggling your legs about these awful, yeah. after trying, a couple of hours yeah just and then it might just changing the armor you know i don't like this armor it doesn't work with my body you and and ed's a rugby player as well it's mm. max, you know big top legs hip armor can't even use it maybe and and the knees this armor's wrong. Don't write the jeans off. Just change the armor, maybe. But the amount of the people, effect. the amount of folk that I've been riding with who have done exactly that during a tour, they've just been like, I can't, I can't put up with this hip. They take the hip armor out, or I've, yeah. I've even known people take the knee armor out, and you're just like, Jesus, <laughs> wow, all right, it's your gamble. But yeah, <laughs> people do it, don't they? 
it's, it's, better than it, it's better than it used to be though so it's softer and more comfortable yeah. than it's ever been but yeah you're right I, I mean hip armor i really struggle with because as you say the big yeah. rugby players hips and legs yeah. and it's just no good <laughs> for, for a so, lot of times so when you go to when you go to get yourself uh when you go to try a set of jeans on then it's it's you you check the fit in terms of the armor when you're stood up so make sure everything is is in the right place when you're stood up it's yeah. not so critical other than comfort when you're sat on the bike because obviously mm-hmm. when you crash you're going to be off the bike anyway aren't you that's yeah 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 yeah, yeah and people will say my legs might be straight when i fall off yeah but they might be bent too mm-hmm. you just don't know do you so you right. want to be comfortable the the key for me with the knee armor is be comfortable on the bike yeah that, that's okay. that's the absolute key i would say so always try and sell one as well hey what you don't hear much with with jeans which you used to is people used to catch their jeans on the peg, didn't they, and fall over? Yeah, that's so right. You put down and catch your catch your jeans on yeah. the peg. Whoa, yeah. off the floor. You don't hear yeah. that, do you? Because you're all doing it, like you said. Yeah. So you're gonna have to watch out for that if you get some flares. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, folks, get yourself along to your local bike shop, support your local bike shop. They're gonna be trained, they're gonna know what they're doing, hopefully, and get fitted properly at the shop. That's fair to say, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, support yep. them cool. anyway by just drinking coffee and stuff, so they're still there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very true, though, isn't it? It's, it's got to be hard times with the with some of the deals and stuff that are available online. God, it's got to be really hard for a for a proper physical store to compete. Now, with a lot of and now talk, talking through with us, you're finding that a lot of deals aren't deals. Yeah, you know, yeah. this is proper PPE. It's not. You know, we're not talking about just buying a you know a denim jacket to go down the pub in. It's yeah. it's got to work. It's so got to actually do the job. And we're training these people. This is what we do in our in our day to day life. Is we're we're just making sure they know all this. Mm-hmm. We can, and that's not just us. You know, as as manufacturers, people working for the manufacturers, we we spend our time training staff, not gotcha. looking whether they've got stock to replace. We're actually product trainers. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, Al's got uh, he's got a comment about Velcro, but I think we've pretty much covered that. He's just saying about Velcro's poor quality. I don't um, know that be much on Velcro, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I've seen Velcro pop up in some of the like Instagram, Facebook questions. Um, he also says I use Lindstrand Halverson kit, which I'm happy with, apart from the long-legged trousers. I understand mitigating the various needs in protective kit is difficult, but designs are far from innovative and rely on sub-branding of Gore-Tex or Outlast to big up dearer models. The gear is so much better than it was in the past, but I guess it's about people buying brands and putting up with shortcomings. Discuss. Sub-branding. That's interesting. Mm. That's an interesting way of putting it. So let's 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 delve in to membrane. So Gore-Tex is obviously a branded membrane. You can't yeah. buy a you obviously can't buy a cheap version of Gore-Tex. There isn't like another name that Gore-Tex make. They make Gore-Tex, and that's what they make. Uh, right. They they have different levels. So you have Gore-Tex and Gore-Tex Pro. Yeah. Now every other membrane, on the other hand, is slightly different. You can get Sympatex and all sorts of things, but Gore-Tex really does sit on its own as the the market leader in terms of expensive brand. Sorry, I got a grenade beer. Apologies. Oh. That's fine. Absolutely fine. Um, uh, and then you've got, so we use a, a one called Dryware and we do three different levels of that. So it depends how much breathability is in each level. So the highest one has 30,000, the lowest one has 10,000. That's the amount of um, water molecules it moves through. It's very boring. Yeah. Uh, essentially, there's 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 two ways of making a membrane. There's the Gore-Tex way and there's the other way. So you have EPTFE, which is Gore-Tex, which is basically a fence. So it's got little holes in. Yeah. The 
water moisture that your body gives off can pass through that way, but the water can't come through the other way because it's mm-hmm. smaller than a, a droplet molecule. The other way is um, a non-porous membrane. And what that does is absorb, it has no holes in it, which is what we use. And then the moisture gets absorbed in and pushed through out the other side. So that's the two ways of making membranes. There is a difference. Now, to find a, a retailer who's going to explain that to you is going to be tough because it's it's not a question you get asked very much. What people really want to know is, is it waterproof? Is it breathable? Yeah. And really, what they really want to know is, is it waterproof? Most people don't care about breathability is the truth of it. Most people know if it's waterproof. If you're buying from a good quality manufacturer, they're going to have a good quality membrane that's going to be waterproof. So it, it's it's going to do the job. The hardest part of waterproofing is um, seam taping. And this, this leads us down another road, unfortunately. We're going to go off go on, on loads of tangents here, I'm afraid. <laughs> so it's two ways of making a jacket, a waterproof jacket. There's three ways, sorry. You've got removable waterproof. Yeah. Which is what the RST adventure suit is, I believe, what I'm talking about earlier. You've got drop liner, which is the old style way of making jackets and the slightly cheaper way of making it, which I'll explain in a minute. And then you've got laminate, which mm-hmm. everyone now understands, which is what you've got. Yeah. So removable is pretty straightforward. You can take it out and then you have a full airflow jacket on top. Drop liner means there's a you've got the outer material, the abrasion resistance, and then inside that stitch to the inside, you've got a waterproof membrane, and mm-hmm. then you've got a protective layer on top of that. So it's hung, hence drop liner. Probably, so it's yeah. only stitched to the top, at the bottom of the arms and the bottom. And your way, the laminate way, is um, means that it's laminated to the outer, so it's one material. So the waterproofing in the outer is all one material. Right. That's the three ways of doing it, basically. That is more important than what membrane is specifically in it. Because uh, that'll so with a laminate you have to seam tape every pocket and every stitch has to be seam taped, and that's the weak point. It's not the membrane itself; it's the seam taping. So the best thing to do after all that, if you can see the seam taping, you want to have about four to five millimeters of seam taping either side of the stitch, and then you'll get a good quality jacket. If, so if, for for people out there, seam taping, can you explain what that sorry. is? So when you get uh, when they. Uh, so if you have the material and you put a pocket on it, you've got to stitch mm-hmm. the pocket on, obviously, to attach it. Yeah. On the inside, on this part, can you see that? Yeah. You have a, a piece of, of tape over the top, which will top, stop the water coming through the seam where the holes are, where you've, you've punctured it. Okay. So if you imagine when you've got a laminate jacket, every time you put a pocket on it or anything, you have to punch the membrane because it's all mm-hmm. one material. Yeah. Which is why they're more expensive. If you get a drop liner, remember, it's just hung. You can stitch the outer without stitching the membrane, so you don't need to seam tape it which is why it's cheaper, a cheaper way of doing it. So, gotcha. so it, waterproofing is difficult, but if you're buying from a good manufacturer, they should warranty a waterproofing anyway. Now, what was the guy's question? I, <laughs> I, I've got one quick thing on waterproofing. Can yeah. you explain, uh, do you know why the outer pockets on the Rucka Navala, like the actual pockets here, aren't waterproof? They, why, why, why is that? Because the zip isn't waterproof. The pockets are waterproof, the zip isn't. So the zip will let water in in heavy, heavy duty rain. Why? Why did they do that? Fishing them. Fishing them. So they they used to call those pockets waterproof a long time ago. What you got there, Mick? I've got my um. This is my old rab jacket that I've just been um walking the dogs in. That's a seat. That's a seat. Can you see that? That's a seat. Yeah, got you. Yeah, see it. And and it's coming off. So this is so this is so the the main material is still waterproof. Uh-huh. And it's, uh, it's been washed in the right stuff. It's been fab sealed. The water bounces off it. it. It's doing the job. But when the tape comes off, underneath there is a hole where you put the stitching in. Yeah. It's so so yeah. pockets, we're going to pockets, pockets for a bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we, we spoke to Rucker and they used to call them waterproof. 
this was years ago. Um, and what happened was people would leave them slightly open and before phones were waterproof, their phones would then get wet and then they yeah. try and get ruckers to pay for their new phones. So we came to agreement we wouldn't call external pockets waterproof. Right. Because it kept because we couldn't keep buying people six hundred pound, thousand pound iPhones. Gotcha. So that's the reason. The zip is pretty much waterproof, but if you leave it a millimeter open. Yeah, you end up with a big pocket full of water, so it, it, it's difficult. That is a good quality YKK Aqua Seal Zip, I think it's called off Top Med. Yeah. Um, there are slightly we use a zip called Nygard, but which is a coil construction, so it's slightly better. But it's we still wouldn't call an external pocket waterproof for that reason. Sure, that's the main reason. They've got to so be on you. You're talking about your phone and your what and your well, maybe not your wallet, but your passport, for instance, when you're away. Mm. It's got to be inside the jacket and you will find there is an inside pocket inside that jacket yeah. he's got two two napoleons inside the uh navala yeah. i think unless they're taking up the chest protection. protection i can't remember you know, i didn't i didn't even know there was an inside pocket don't put anything i can't remember i left two and a half years ago but i think they you, have you got a chest protector in yours yes it may have the chest protector in it so you might not have one oh, okay can't remember. All right, no worries. No. I always wear the rucksack anyway. So all I have yeah. in my jacket uh, pockets are my keys and my um, my uh, earplugs before mm. I before I left them on the tank and rode on, down the road. <laughs> they don't do a lot yeah. of good on the floor. No, no. Well, well, at least uh, it, that's another sorry. safety issue, isn't it? It's hearing protection. It's alarm bells when you say put your keys in it. Even your phone. I've discussed it with people where you got your phone on your chest. Mm. Yeah. And it's a piece of glass. Yeah. So you yeah. worry about putting your key. Your key could turn around and go. I mean, we, uh, there, there was yeah. people that were so bloody unlucky in there that, oh, they <laughs> stuck the key through my chest because it was in the inside pocket. But yeah. you, anything that's external on your body, um, if you put it on the floor, it's a wear point. So if mm-hmm. you have like a, a tin wallet like people have now, that'll wear a hole straight through your suit. Because mm-hmm. when, when you've attached yourself to the road, it's got an edge to it, and it'll it'll burn a hole through the suit. So keys should be off your body in your tank bag or whatever, and everything mm. on should be soft. But yeah, like your your passport, and maybe your, the 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 reason that someone was having an argument with me about it is that if they fell off the bike and they've rolled into a field, and their and their their phone is on the in the rucksack, or sorry, in the in the tank, tank bag, bag, no good to you, is it? When you can mm. find someone, you're in a ditch. Yeah, a good point. Yeah. And, and this area is not really going to get hammered if you do wear a chest protector, which I'd suggest to, and I've started to wear this year. The the chest so protector, a, yeah, really good idea. And yeah, I think absolutely when you're riding your Jixer, you've got a little plastic screen and and just a set of handlebars that you can smash off with your knee. Mm-hmm. Um, so the worst injury that you could get was maybe hurt your femur because you're going through that now. It's getting taller and taller in mm-hmm. front of you. H frames, extra H frames, sat nav yeah. bars, bits of metal and plastic that are really high. Yeah. If someone pulls out in front of you because you're freezing cold because you're wearing your t shirt, thinking about that instead of what's going on, you've got to take that out with your chest if you just have a head on. And so, mm-hmm. it's a good, as a road person, I'd say it's still a good idea to wear one or an, or an airbag, and it's protecting you from your phone as well. Yeah, yeah, I suppose it is, isn't it? It's, it's, it's protecting you from not only what's around you, but what's on you as well at the same yeah. time. One, yeah. one quick thing on that last question I've got to mention, unfortunately. I'll get back to the boring stuff. No worries. I'll do all the boring stuff. Mick can do all the interesting stuff. <laughs> so in it, he said sub-brands of Outlast. Mm-hmm. Now, Outlast is nothing to do with waterproofing, which is what I think he's suggesting here. So 
I'm going to go through Outlast because uh, most people in the industry think it's a waterproofing thing and it's not. So what Outlast is, is a material that is a lining or you can buy it in a base layer. It's the two ways um, of, of getting it. Ours is lined in some of the jackets or we sell a base layer within. And what it is, is it's a, um, a temperature regulator. So when you, so it's little strands of material and then they have little wax beads on the strand. When you get hot, you melt the wax beads. They're encapsulated. So it goes from a solid to a liquid. So it cools you down. And when mm-hmm. you get cold again, it goes from a, sorry, it goes from liquid to solid. Then it goes from a solid to a liquid, gives you the energy back. So right. it's constantly changing its phase to keep you at the right temperature. So it, it, what this application for motorcycling is, is we're talking about moisture inside a jacket. When you're going down the motorway and you've got a wind chill, you're quite comfortable. You pull off a, a petrol station, you get hot really quickly and start to sweat, which we've all experienced because mm-hmm. you've lost the wind chill. What Outlast will do is absorb that energy, keep you at a comfortable temperature. You won't start to sweat. So when you pull away again, you won't get that cold, horrible, damp sensation. You'll just pull away comfortable. And that's what Outlast does. It slows down the change in temperature. So it's a one-off material. It's the only real one in the motorcycle market at the moment. I think there are a couple outside of the motorcycle market, but that's what Outlast does. So it's worth covering that. There's a fair bit of science to all this clothing lark, isn't there? Yeah. It's also also used by, developed by NASA, isn't it? It's used... Yeah. Using NASA in the spacesuit. Really? So, it is rocket science. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, I had no idea. <laughs> wow. Okay, right. Um, next one. This this runs on to this question then. Paul Jacques, why are inflatable crash jackets so expensive? <laughs> Do you want to take that one, Mick? I've just got someone knocking on my door in my office. Two seconds. <laughs> no worries. So inflatable protective jackets. Yeah, I think he means like air vests. Yeah, I would I would say that it's it's based on the technology, isn't it? It's yeah. everything that's gone into it, and the fact that um, I would I would say if I'm going, I'm I'm in the market for one, and I'm going to look into the fact that I don't have to send it away. So mm. if I can, if you can send it to a UK distributor to be rearmed um, and have a new gas canister put into it, or, or whatever needs to be done, um, that's that that would be whether it was ex- is expensive or not to me. How much does it cost to um, to look after it per year, have the subscription, um, and whether it costs a fortune to rearm the thing every mm. time you crash? And if you were if you were using your bike a lot in the summer, if you did have an off and your bike's not destroyed, and you're back on it the next day, you would want to get it back quite quickly as well. So yeah. I think that kind of that to me is expense as opposed to what it costs because mm. still. It's still your spine, it's still your chest, it's your stern, and it's all your vital organs. It's not your head, but it's it's the closest thing to it. So you'd spend most people would spend upwards of two fifty, say, for a helmet to mm. like seven hundred pound. Um, you know, it's it, it, it's a relative expense, isn't it? And, and, and I think you, when you can know what we know, so you you know, you're talking about single layer jeans with the right equipment inside and not spending money every single year because you, I've got to have this jacket, that jacket. I'm freezing cold, boiling hot. So I've, I've, you, you're just purchasing stuff all the time because you, you're having to build up all this all this technology because of the, I mean, this year it's 30 degrees. Mm. You know, we, we, it wasn't when I was in Scotland. I think it was 17. I, I'm a heat <laughs> grip on it. It was 30 degrees at home. <laughs> But that changeability makes you buy another pair of short boots, a different pair of jeans. I've got to buy yeah. a, a mesh jacket. I've, so if you got clever with the kit in the first place and really understood the tech, you're spending less anyway. Yeah. So you can yeah. actually wear a massively expensive helmet and you 
airbag because you haven't you haven't gone oh, I've got to buy some more stuff more stuff because it's not I think the the real deal is try and buy stuff that's going to last about ten years unless mm. you jump over the handlebars. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, unless you're doing serious yeah. mileage, then it won't last ten years. No, if you're, if you're, if you're careering, then it's it's going to be a struggle. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I think sometimes I think we're maybe guilty of getting a bit blasé about the levels of technology that are actually involved in some of these bits of kit, like the crash jackets, the air vest, for example. When you think about it, that is a tiny, tiny little computer with these incredibly complex algorithms running with all these different G sensors. Because this thing, you know, it's got to decide in a, well, I don't know what the time is. Is it hundreds or thousands of a second? It's got to decide whether or not it's going to deploy or not. And it's got to be able to determine, is it just you having a quick stumble? Or, or is it actually a life, you know, a, a life-threatening incident that's a way to take place? Um, and yeah, as, as you just said there, Mick, as well, you know, some, some of these vests. I don't think there's any one-use only vests anymore, are there? There used to be. It was one once, and then that was it, wasn't it? In, mm-hmm. in the early days. And now I know with the helic that I have, it's literally it goes off. You tuck it all back inside, screw off the canister, screw another one on. Off you go. It's as simple as that. Back but you're paying. You're, you're paying for it. You know. You're, you're, yeah. Yeah. You're paying. I think it. I think the E one is something like five six hundred quid. I think. But, I think that's. I, I don't think it's that expensive. Yeah. That that seems about right. I mean, yeah. I know the, the Denny's one's just gone up to seven twenty or something. But right. when you think about the amount of R and D that goes into it, I Absolutely. mean, it's it's very early technology still. Mm-hmm. And they've got to constantly be working on that algorithm, getting it better and better, and making it work better. If you look at the most GP guys. Even sometimes theirs goes off when they yeah. haven't crashed. But then when you've got Marquez saving it on his elbow, it's, you know, it, yeah. it, we're, yeah, we're yeah. not doing that on the road, are we? So, um, <laughs> Speak for all, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> elbow head. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, what do you mean by save? Crash? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And five, um, 600 pounds is pretty pretty good when you compare it to a helmet, which is, you know, it is, is, or your or, life or being yeah, able all to those walk. things. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, all this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a friend of mine, uh, Lee. He's, I think, he's actually got a question in here, actually. But he's a professional uh, motorcycle tester with Triumph, and he was wearing one of the very early Helite vests. He went and bought one himself, and he had a year a big crash, which he's adamant would have killed him. Certainly would have paralysed him, but he reckons probably killed him if he wasn't wearing one of these vests. And it was him that put them onto me actually so um and, and i've also got another friend of mine who from my police days he worked in a a certain sneaky beaky department where you would ride motorcycles at very high speed for certain situations he had a big crash a couple of years ago he was wearing a vest which not many of them do but he did i think his wife actually made him wear the vest and he survived and again he's adamant doesn't think he'd have made it if he wasn't wearing a vest so as you said, you know, six, seven hundred quid and being able to maybe not get up and walk away, but certainly breathe and um, live and to not, fight another day. It's not the sort of thing you're going to wear out either, is it? Because you haven't got any no. move. With your jackets, it's always the elbows that wear because yeah. you're moving constantly with it. Yeah. Whereas the vest just sort of sits there. So it's not going to wear out as quickly as a, a trouser or, or a jacket as well. So it should last you quite a long time. And obviously the yeah. manufacturer has to update the algorithm constantly and the app as well. That's got to be updated and paid for all the time. So there's a lot of costs involved in making them. So I think they're about right price-wise. I need to now look into this. Down. 
I don't even know there is a. I didn't. I don't even know if there is an app for the Hellite one. I'll need to look Ooh. into this because I've probably I just put okay. it on and wear it every you day. See how many G's you're pulling? I'm sure. It's very <laughs> yeah, important. Yeah, to yeah. You. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Cheers for that one, Paul. Next one, Grant Laidlaw. Hi, folks. Hope all is well. My questions. My question is around air vests and may well have been covered under the previous questions, but in case not, I've got a two-piece Dionysi leather suit and also a two-piece Richard Gore-Tex suit that I use depending on what bike I'm on. I know, I'm one of them. I've also got a Dionysi DA vest that I wear on top of either jacket. I've never looked at safety ratings, slide data, etc., but to me, the leather suit feels safer and likely to offer a lot more protection than the textile. The Dionysi air vest market tells me it provides the equivalent protection of seven back protectors and I've therefore removed the back protectors that were already in both jackets. My questions are, firstly, am I right in thinking quality two-piece leathers are going to give better protection um, over textiles and also the claims for the DA vest as straightforward as the marketing suggests and is removing back protection with an air vest unwise? So it's so two parts. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we cover the, le- we cover the leather. I think the leather, for, yeah. for me, it's still, it's still going to be better when you fall off. Okay, uh, when let's get into when this pour, then. When pouring down the rain, Is it all zipped together? So has he got a 360 zip on his suits? Because sure. if, you, if you put your bum down on the floor and your jacket rises up, then yeah. you're in trouble again, aren't you? Because yeah. you've, got the, you've got the slide protection of the leather, but only if it stays together. Yeah. So it would need to be a three, not a little zip at the back, but 360 zip on both, and the leather would be more protective. And then we're back to, is the armour in the right place? Did it actually fit you properly? Did you go to a specialist to buy it? Mm. And with regards to the uh, the airbag, if it didn't go off, you've got no second hit, but it would be probably uncomfortable to wear. Have you got the back protector in yours? Me, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I've kept all the armour in mine. Yeah. They're normally most of the airbags now have built-in back protectors as part of the airbag. They've normally got a solid, a solid piece in them as well. Yeah, yeah. I believe. Yeah, 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 I think there is. Yeah, I I was just told by Helite they said that you know because for track days now you have to have a back protector on, um, and mm-hmm. I I queried that because I was going to be going away with um, California Superbike School doing their uh, three and four levels, so I said to Helite, do I will the will the air vest uh, work in place of a of a proper back protector for the track, and they were like, "Yeah, absolutely, it, it will be fine." So I spoke with California just to clarify it, and they were like, "Yeah, no, that's fine." Uh, it, who is it? It's um, oh god, what's the com- the big company that do most of the track days now? They own like brands, they own most of the circuit. Yes, MS. I think MSV were the ones that were dictating the use of, of back protectors on their circuits. And and they turned around and said, yeah, you know, it's a back protector or an air vest. You can you can wear that. Yeah, that, um, actually, Grant does say that. He said, it's crossed my mind that if the airbag doesn't actually deploy when it should, then I have, in fact, reduced the protection I have. So, yeah. It depends on, like, like Ed said, if it's wearing one, mm. then uh, you, you mm. are. You've got two. You've got two then. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. But it's, so it's, it's uncomfortable then. Yeah. If you've got one already, don't put another one in. I didn't think about that. Yeah, like you said, the air vest actually has a back protector already incorporated mm-hmm. into it. So Yeah. Yeah. I think if it's got that, I think if I, I don't know which what Danny's he's got, but I I think most of them have got them incorporated in them anyway now. So yeah, he could probably remove his if it has. Yeah. 
So just check that, Grant. Have a look yeah. at your your air vest. If it's got a back protector, you're fine. If not, get your back protector back in your yeah. in your clothing. Well, Lovely job. Ask, ask the retailer that sold it to you. Yes. To exactly what what um, you know if they, if they've if they've got update information on that they they're the ones that are trained. If they, they've had a guy come in, train them how to work it, train train them on all the use. So mm-hmm. that's what we're so, certainly with with he. With Helite Alpine Star Danny's, I think you have to have special specialist training to stock them as okay. a store. So you have to have someone in the store that's specialist trained before mm-hmm. you're allowed to sell them. So they should know. Hmm. That's quite good though. That that's good that you know, if 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 motorcycle shops, stores, if they want custom, if they want people coming into the shop, then obviously they have an obligation to be properly trained don't they and they and rightly so they should be so let's get in there folks let's get into the shops and and you know make use of this experience and expertise from them i've also seen them uh i've been on a open day and seen the guys the distributors doing uh actively you know setting the airbags off on people so they get a group of people and someone gets laughed at because the airbag goes off yeah yeah but equally the the retailers telling the information as well. They're all singing off the same hymn sheet. They've all been trained in the same way. So mm. you just say, that's what we think, but we're not, we're not trained. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting sensation when, when the vest goes off, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> wow. They, they did that. <laughs> Sorry. It's the waiting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just waiting for that. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I remember the Halite chaps were saying that and they used to, they used to inflate the jacket and then take a baseball bat and we'll start whacking you with a baseball bat, but they're, they're not allowed to do that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so they don't do it anymore. But uh, yeah, I need to think of a way without crashing my bike of testing. Cause I've got, I'm going to have to do some content around this Halite vest. And obviously I can't just I can't review it without actually properly reviewing it. So I'm like, I heard right. a story. Go on. Someone was on the um, they're on the channel, so they they've got an e vest, so it's aware of the fact that it's moving. So it's it can obviously feel the sense. Oh, oh wow! Yeah, something on the floor and went down to pick it up, and the vest went off. Really? I don't know how true that is, but that's what I heard. <laughs> well, I've, done, I've done the tunnel a few times this year and it's not gone off. So. It makes sense, doesn't it? Because yeah, but so. maybe it didn't move quick enough or whatever. But yeah, what what are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, yeah, because it's it's got all those sensors built in, won't it? So it'll know it's it knows moving. it's turned at the speed, yeah. Wow. Blame it. Yeah, definitely. If you've got ideas, folks, if you've got ideas how I can test this vest without crashing my bike, then um Answers on a postcard, let me know. <laughs> right, Mark Fulchar. Hey, up me ducks. Apologies, Bruce. I've had a bit on, so not being as forthcoming with the questions as normal. No worries, pal. Don't worry about it. So I think I'm a bit late to the party, but I'll ask anyway. Not that riding a particular style of bike should def- should define the clothing that you wear. However, would you agree that the ageing biking community of the UK, mainly thanks to Bruce, they've become GS tractor riding rucker fairies, and the shift to the majority riding tarmac adventure bikes, has this seen the development in textile suits and associated clothing, the main focus for manufacturers. So are you noticing, excuse me, are you more noticing the shift to the adventure style and, and textiles, things like that? Yeah, it's, it, it's all, it's, it's, it's the main, main thing, isn't it? It's the main thing in, in, the, in the clothing industry. Now, it, when we both first started in the nineties, we were all selling 
race suits and leathers and leather race suits and all that sort of thing. Um, and then in the last, what would you say, make 10 years? It's since those guys went around the world. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Up up and down. When Charlie and Ewan went went around the world, that's when it changed. Um, that's when we all wanted grey suits and GSs and tin boxes. (laughs) Yeah, I've I've got a a boxer, I've got a, I've got an R9T scrambler. Oh, yeah, I've still got that kind of classic engine but i'm a bit like you where i'm not gonna you know i just want to do something different and that that bike has been ace so i've got the option to wear a brown leather jacket and little mm. boots down urbanish, and and wear a textile jacket but i'm not the one that i've got it's got no pockets so my textile is a stretch textile black no pockets got inner pockets just wants to put your hands in so it's very very plain black just got tiny writing on it that's what i prefer i'm mm. not really a adventure jacket type guy i've got an ri um i've got a chaser x so i've got a race helmet with a black visor yeah i'm still using kind of super moto gloves and and lace-up brown boots mm. so even, even when i'm touring but i am i'm definitely a daytona guy i've got daytona <laughs> boots have you? And, that's, and that's going towards your GS, isn't it? Daytona boots are just, I mean, what? wow. They are the comfiest boots I've ever worn. But I i had the, um, I, sorry, I'm just going to grab my earphone. It fell out there. I've just, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I bought a pair of those uh, Daytona touring boots and they had the titanium toe sliders on them. So like, I think I was going to, I went to Spain literally like a week or two weeks after I bought these boots and I'm on the GS and, and in the old bill, we were taught to ride duck feet. You know, you don't ride with your toes on the pegs. You ride with your, uh, like the balls of your feet on the pegs. It's, it's a diff- I, I, they explained why, and I can't remember why, but I just got into the habit of doing it. So every corner that you come up to, you're just drilling your toe into the, the tarmac and the, the sliders went in like a day. They're just, they're just gone, totally disappeared. So these beautiful, like waterproof Daytona boots in the space of like a day or two in spade, they've just worn right through to the toes. I'm like, shit, but they were the comfiest boots I've ever worn. They were amazing. So, so me and Mick have been to the factory a couple of times to Daytona. So it's in Egenfeld in Germany. No uh, one's been there. But... Sorry? No one's been there. No. <laughs> they don't really let people go. Because right. they got these little secrets they don't want people to know. Uh, but it's two brothers that run it. One of them runs the production and one of them runs the sort of leather side. And you see the yeah. whole cowhides come in and he selects them by hand, one of the owners, what really? leather goes into the boot. It's incredible. They're very, very hands-on, the two owners. Uh, one of the machines had an issue and he got called on his mobile while he was showing us around and he had to leave and he went and fixed the machine, then ran the boot through the process to make sure it's perfect and then came back and carried on showing us around the, around the factory. So wow. absolutely incredible. If you ever get the chance to go there, which you probably won't because not many people do, it's unbelievable. It's, a, that it's is, superb. superb. That is stereotypical German, isn't it? Just yep. absolutely precision. It does the job perfectly. Yeah, they don't change it. They made it right the first time. Yeah. It's the tiny little changes every year. But yeah, it's, it's incredible products. One of those yeah. other examples of worth the money, isn't it? Mm. You pay a fortune for them. I think the boots yeah. I've got, they're about 15 years old. They're now about 900, well, 850, 900 pounds. And it's a, and it is a sport touring boot mm. with an inner, uh, inner plastic piece that you can't move your ankle and, uh, and they've got an outer on them. It's not the security Evo. I've got an Evo Sport. It doesn't even mm. exist anymore. But I've just done all the touring that I've done. I didn't even think about my feet. 
yeah. didn't think they're hot, they're cold, or will they be waterproof? I just didn't think about them at all. Come home, wash them off, put later pledge on them so you've got the great pound of polish and put them back in the cupboard until you ride a big trip again. And then I'm yeah. driving around in, you know, rolling sand boots that are lace up with white soles all the time that I walk <laughs> in and ride the yeah, bike. Yeah. But if you're going any distance, I don't know, I could say you can't beat them, but I think uh, you can't based on the fact that you can repair them. When I went mm. to the factory, they've got little brown tags on the boots going through the production line, and they were other people. They were people's boots. So you got really? the ones going through the production, and in there as well, in the process, is a little brown tag one. Is someone's boots being repaired? I didn't know they repaired them. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think I've chucked away my Daytonas. Oh they God! If I've still got them, I'll get them repaired. Jeez. Yeah. Resoles, oh. re-zip, everything. So. Yeah, another thing that we don't go on about Daytona all night, but another thing they do is they put um they put a small aramid pad above your toenails. So if you imagine where you're changing gear, yeah. your toenails wear away the membrane and that's why boots leak in the toe. So they put an aramid pad between the membrane and your toes so you can't wear it away. Wow. And then and then what they do is don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody that. It's just there. It's incredible. Wow. They say, wow. they make they make 90,000 pairs of boots a year. And they sell every pair and they can't make any more. It's absolutely maximum production. They also make ballet shoes. That's the other thing they do. Really? Mm-hmm. Which is I'll why you can you have what. any any color Daytona you want because they've got all the leathers in all the colors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they felt like slippers. Those th- those Daytonas I had were so comfortable when I put them on. They, they felt like no other boot I'd worn. It was like, oh... This is nice. I can do some miles in these. They felt amazing. I think I think in the road stars they do five width things now. A standard. Wow. And they'll do made to measure as well. Yeah. So really? an amazing product. But touring kit, yeah, it's um it's uh it's definitely all going that way. I mean mm. Mick Mick and I were around when they first bought a laminate construction, which made a big difference to the UK market and is now probably the dominant construction in the UK market. But what we've seen over the last three years is people are buying removable lining a little bit more. Because mm-hmm. they want to go touring in Spain and Italy, those sort of places. Yeah. So our top jacket is a removable waterproof one, and that's probably our best-selling jacket in the range now. So I completely sold out for a year. I don't know if you're noticing it in the in the industry in the trade yet. I'd imagine it is coming through, but for for me, when I look at in my world on social media. I'm definitely aware of a much younger crowd coming through. I know traditionally we're all getting older. We're all getting older and fatter and people have moved from sports bikes across into, you know, more upright and adventure style bikes. But I definitely feel like not only is there a big move of of influx of, of women coming into biking, but there is a much younger crowd coming in now. Much younger. I, I'm noticing it for sure. And I notice a lot of the PR teams they don't bother with the likes of me and TMF and and lamb shops anymore. They they're all focusing on the women and the the youngsters that are coming in, for sure. So I'm definitely I'm part of the social media team at Halverson. So there's about four of us in that team. Mm. We're not very we're not very good at it yet. We're still learning. But um, and the truth is, we we were looking for digital content artists. Is that what we call these days? I can't remember. I, I don't that, know. Right? I don't digital know. content creators. <laughs> I don't know what I am. I, I, know people, no I know people get very offended if you say influencers, so you won't <laughs> say that. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but the people the people who are doing this, they get, yeah. in, they get offended. And I'm like, oh, well, okay. <laughs> so we, we were looking for people and it's, um we haven't got the money to be paying the, the missing and flyer type level of, of mm-hmm. people. We just haven't got that sort of budget to be, to get involved with those type of numbers. 
Um, and the truth is that the vast majority are women because, and I'm sure uh, someone said on your podcast, I can't remember who it was, you get the guys looking at the, the women's Instagram accounts and the girls looking at it. So you get double. Yeah. Yeah. When it's a, a guy, you tend to just mostly get guys looking at it. So you're actually only getting maybe two thirds of the marketplace. Mm. So Unless you're vast- Richie Vida and then you get all the women looking at it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, so it's really difficult to get, to actually get males, it's much easier to get females and young mm. females as well are, are definitely the the people that people look at in terms yeah, of numbers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We 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 don't actually pay anybody. We just give kit to people sometimes mm. to test, and we always expect it to be sort of an honest test of the equipment. Hopefully, it's the way mm. to, the way we go with it. But you're right, there is. We we were at ABR festival. I'm sure. I think you were as well, weren't you? This yeah, uh, I, yeah. O- only a day. I only managed yeah. Friday afternoon. Yeah, so we we were at ABR, and I think you're right. I think there's definitely some some younger people, even at that event, which is an expensive event to go to mm. if you if you if you're at college or university or whatever. It's 120 pounds for the weekend. Yeah. It's good value, but it is a it's not a cheap event to go to. Mm-hmm. So uh, you think you're right. There's definitely more more young people coming through, which is great, and women, which is also great. Mm-hmm. Um, the clothing is a. Uh, difficult for women but i'm sure you'll get i'm sure there's a question on that somewhere on your list I'm uh, sure. yeah i've seen some all, i've seen some is. actually yeah yeah for sure for sure <laughs> yeah there's i mean I, I think it's brilliant that because we were it was really worrying for a long time there was just no young blood coming into the the sport was there and it was like what's what's going to happen here because in the uk certainly the government you get the feeling that the uk government is I'm not, I want to say anti-bike, maybe it's not that far, but they're definitely not pro-bike. They're definitely not pro-motorbike here. Mm-hmm. Like you go to some European countries, Spain, France, places like that, Italy, where they're just, you know, bikes are part of life, aren't they? Mm-hmm. It just doesn't seem to be have that feel over here. So it's nice to see the younger blood coming in. I wonder, if, with, it's, uh, I wonder if it's going to turn with the weather. Mm. So this year, um, it's a, a couple of people in my family that are, that are young, one guy, one one girl. Um, I would never imagine them to get a, get a motorcycle, and they've both got you know got some Vespers and asking about the kit and yeah. wearing you know X light carbon fiber helmets, drop down visors. So they've done the research and have no idea about the you know through people like you, mm-hmm. you know they've looked right into the industry and are really excited about it. It's fantastic, but yeah. it's because everything else is so expensive to run. Mm. I can't have a car to go to work because it's too expensive. So I've got to get a motorbike. And then they yeah. on and then they get that feeling that we got when we were younger that, that never goes away. So yeah. you stop and have kids and whatever. It's still never going away. You, you'll jump back on the bike when you can afford one again. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just about getting them the wind in their face and going, wow, actually, this is amazing because it's 25 degrees. Yeah. Not because it's today. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, pushing down we're in. Stand what they don't want to do it. Where do you think the industry is going to go? Like in terms of, in terms of bikes. Like I, I, I kind of think I don't think adventure bikes have had their day because like people like me are still out there and we can sit in comfort and do as many miles <laughs> as you want and you get as good, almost as good road performance out of the modern adventure bikes than I did out of my Jixar from like 2008, 2009. All right, I'm not going to get the top end speed, but for road riding without going to jail, the big adventure bikes are fantastic. They're just, they're just, the power's awesome. It's great. It's comfortable. But I also really enjoy the little bikes and I'm, I'm seeing maybe because I enjoy riding little small CC bikes, maybe I'm, I'm look, 
I look at that on my horizon a lot more, but to me, it feels like there's a lot more smaller CC bikes coming in. And whether that's, yeah, is that to appeal to, dare I say it, and I please don't bite my head off. I'm not, I don't want to be a chauvinist here, but is it to appeal to, you know, the more women that are coming in who don't want the great, big, massive adventure bikes or the big, imposing, large CC bikes and men. I've had lots of guys contacting me going, I would love the GS, but I'm five foot three and five foot five, or I just don't feel like I've got the confidence to handle one of those big bikes. What's smaller, like 500 CC or less sort of bikes. I've just got this feeling. I I, I think small CCs are going to be on the up. I can see, I can see them coming. You've got Himalayans in Mm -hmm. that spec. When I was in Italy, I, I went to see Matt. Yeah. You know, motorcycles from Birmingham, yeah, yeah. they're selling all the units and they, mm-hmm. I think they might, well, there was talk of them doing a 500 and I didn't look at the bikes on the stand because I'm going to look at that at the NEC. I went yeah. around looking at all the clothing and then we're off to the NEC to then just go, oh, what, what new bikes are there? Yeah. But me and my friends have got monkey bikes. Yeah. yeah. Every one of them has got a Benelli TNT and I've got a Cali Honda from 1978. <laughs> With yeah, a different yeah. engine in it. So it's got a bigger motor and we've all got silly little monkey bikes that you can chuck in the van. And mm. you've got more fun on that than you ever on a on a big bike. It's it's just smiles miles, isn't it? Yeah. I, I did a thing with um with Richie Vida and um uh, official Mr. Fish, John, another uh, another YouTuber chap. And the three of us got on little one two fives. So John and Richie Vida both had Honda Cubs, and I had one of the um Sinis. Uh, Apache, little Sinus, little enduro bike, one two five cc thing. So John and I did a road trip up to the Peak District, and then we met up with with Dicky Vegas, Rich. He took us on a tour around the Peak District, and we even did some like green laning on these things. And then we left Rich, and we John and I went into Wales, and we went all around Wales on the one two fives. We wow. did like a thousand mile in three days, and I tell you what, I, I still smile at the thought of that. It was fucking brilliant, great fun. I, I I've only just stopped riding two stroke two fifties. So right. I had RGVs and um RSs and all that stuff mm-hmm. my whole life. So I've always loved small capacity stuff. Um yeah. uh, I had to sell the last one recently for house reasons, you know, those sort of Which reasons. Is. But um but I've always been in small capacity, but I think you're right. I think it, you, you'll see smaller capacities, fuel efficiency will be a big thing going Absolutely. forward, definitely. Yeah. Uh, try and bring the, the cost down. Obviously, thousand liter sports bikes are, are done really, unless you don't mm. track days now. They're they're just showpieces exactly, yeah. in people's houses, unfortunately. Yeah. So I think you're right. You will see more small capacity Honda releasing their CL five hundred, aren't they, this year? I think mm-hmm. the new retro one. That that world is going to grow and grow and grow. I'm sure of that. Yeah. Some people uh, thought yeah. it would have died by now, but I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's going to continue on uh, for for a while yet. So yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that that'll, that'll go forward. The adventure bikes are going to die. I'd say. Well, you know, how's it going to innovate? You've, uh, uh, like I said, when I first, when we first started talking, there's that brand called Cake mm. and things like that. They're, they're really putting some some design into the electric bikes that we all are. I never have an electric bike. I'm not into that. Uh, you will be. And there will it's be coming. cars. And they In will our be. lifetime, it's coming. Yeah. Mm. And they're the same as cars. They've, mm. you know, they're making really cool cars. They're going to make bikes uh, as well. And you'll be plugging them in. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, you know, they're talking about is it 2035 there'll be no new or is it 2032 there's no new petrol bikes now from it's either 32 or 35 onwards there'll be no new petrol bike so they say um, i think that was the target and i was thinking are they going to be able to do this and then there was that announcement 
quite recently, wasn't there, where the big Japanese four got together and they're like, right, we are now actively working towards interchangeable batteries. Yeah. And I'm, I've ridden quite a lot of electric. I've been riding electric since 2018 now with with English Electric Company, and um, I've I've had Alec on the podcast a few times, and I've I've had big lengthy chats with him off camera about it as well. And the I've always thought interchangeable batteries would be the way ahead, but he was like, with the current battery technology, it's it's literally for for a for a bike that can do a hundred miles range, you're talking a hundred kilogram battery. That's that's the restriction. So there's no way you're going to have a hundred kilogram inter- interchangeable battery, or even even four twenty five kilogram batteries. Twenty five kilograms is quite a lot of weight, isn't it? You know, for most people. But this announcement with the big four talking about it, you're like, whoa, because obviously they're going to be investing a lot of money in that, and they're only going to invest in in it if they're confident. Mm-hmm. That they're going to have a, a viable solution at the end of it, so be interesting to see what's coming with that. And, and then there's technology, you know. If yeah, you yeah, exactly. The weight of your laptop, mm. whatever, yeah. anything with the battery, it's, it's moved on, isn't it? But mm. it's um, it's also interesting to talk about uh, sustainability, isn't it? Absolutely, but, yeah. Whether you know where does the energy come from? You've got the batteries. Where do the batteries come from? Where do you plug yeah. it to? Where's you know is it is it wind power that's powering that? Or yeah. it's all going to move on, isn't it? So I think ultimately that's where we're going to be. And I don't think it's going to be a sad thing. I think it's just going to be the next generation. We're just the yeah. old kids moaning about it because of course. you know we like petrol. We like yeah. we like the sound of them and. But everything will move on. The marketing will move on as well. That would just be yeah. some git stuff, wouldn't it, that we don't really want. And it's, it's true. Unreliable. Two, like my old two-strokes. Well, like yeah, yeah exactly. Of, like you've got carbs in, instead of injection system. Mm. Carburetor to now is, uh, to us is a pain in the ass, isn't it? Because yeah. it doesn't perform properly. I'm sure an electric bike was going to go off the mark a lot faster than a set of carbs. The phenomenal. It is amazing. It's just, it's just stunning, and you never get tired of it either. Um, Alec brought up a really interesting point when when we were chatting about it, and the last time he was on the podcast. Because I'm, I was like you, Mick. I was like, you know, to me, electric just felt like we're robbing Peter to pay Paul in terms of the environmental impact. Because, all right, okay. Y- it's not got the end product pollution, which out directly out of the end user vehicle, like with a petrol engine, the fumes come out and that's going to damage the environment and making the fuel, you know, getting the fuel damages the environment, blah, 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 blah. With electric, as you just said, you know, all the components that you need to make the battery, they're, they're destroying the environment. Uh, how do you actually power the factories that make all the parts? That's destroying the environment. Alex said, he said, he's no doubt that the electric motor is the future of transportation uh, in this in the world, but he doesn't think batteries as we know it are are the future. It's how we, it's it's going to be. How do we? fuel that electric motor exactly what you what you said basically you know is that going to come from hydrogen cells is it going to come from nuclear cells what are we going to power the electric engine with who knows who knows what's coming it's going to come so fast and if if everybody invests in it we have no idea what we're even talking about yeah exactly exactly 
Right, we're going off topic. Um, Folks, has got a second part. He says, secondly, as I don't, I think we've actually addressed some of this. Secondly, as I don't yet fall into the previous question's category, being an avid sports bike rider on road and on track, personally, I can't imagine getting on a bike for a ride without wearing a full complement of leathers. I would genuinely feel naked and wouldn't enjoy the ride without them. Is there any argument or factual data that let we've covered this, that leathers cover a, a higher level of protection than textiles. Uh, yeah, basically, we've covered that part. I'll just make sure there's nothing else to this question. Okay, right, we've covered that bit. Leathers are better than textiles. And he says, lastly, is anyone else pissed off with Christmas yet? <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, already. <laughs> My wife's very into it, so yeah, I am as well. Oh, yeah, sure. <laughs> it's the adverts, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, next one. Charlie Callard. Evening all. Hope you're all well. Cheers, Charlie. So a couple of questions from me this evening. Have you ever been pleasantly surprised or horrified at a release of or the possible development of a new product? Horrified, eh? Horrified by a new product. Uh yeah, I mean I've seen I've seen some some products that I haven't been that keen on before. There used to be a helmet with a what looked like a cheese grater on top of it as an air vent. I thought that was pretty, pretty oh God, wild. I've seen that. You had a, a metal panel on the top of the helmet here, and that was you opened it and it had a lot of holes in for ventilation. So wow. you pulled the whole shell away and it had a big bit, mm. and then that was straight down to the EPS underneath that. And I was like, Oh, mm, yeah, yeah. Nice. I don't, I don't think so for me. <laughs> I think, that, I think that was long enough ago for me to say I haven't said the brand, so I'm probably okay. <laughs> uh, the, only thing, the only thing that I know that people are horrified by, which is normally Marmite, are the women if you mention pink or baby blue. Oh, I think someone mentioned, I've, I've seen a question on one of the um, socials about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. yeah. But then you've got, you've got some people that think it's amazing and then there's nothing in between. Mm. It's just, if you if you bring out a, pink product that won't buy any of your stuff we've developed a jacket that was that was pink wasn't it it's gray and pink yeah we got it tone on tone with just pink zips because yep. you can't release that <laughs> into, like, your horror story yeah, yeah if you look at some of the leathers that people used to wear on sports bikes in the 80s jesus the christ <laughs> the worms yeah, yeah. it's carl fogarty one yeah yeah yeah, yeah. awful <laughs> Um, the other the other one that was the is a bit marmite is the polite vest, isn't it? Oh God, don't! Oh, yeah, uh, there's that one, and then there's the uh, God. Now, now I'm thinking about it. There's loads of things. Um, there's the furry ears back in the nineties. Those have furry, these, yeah, yeah. Stick the things you put on top of your helmet. Oh, yeah, no, that no. made a guy a millionaire. Sold really? millions of them. Unbelievable, yeah, huge success. God. Shelling peas, that was crazy. Wow. So there is some, there is some stuff out there. The polite vests. If you if you come on one of my tours, if you come on a, a chicken strips tour, I've basically got the vest of shame. So every every evening we have a kangaroo court, and you decide who gets the vest for the following day. And it can be, you know, it can just be stuff like. You're having it, or it can be you took too long filling up with fuel. Um, you <laughs> faffed the most, so you get the vest. I always get it at some point in the tour. I always get given it, but yeah, we've got the vest of shame that does the rounds. A pink polite vest has to be done. Remember the gold watch on the stand. Yeah, we used to have that at the NEC show when I was working there with um, and yeah, there used to be a really bad watch that someone's grandma had given them, and he bought it along one year, and everyone took the piss out of it so much that the year after you had to wear the watch if um. <laughs> If you if you 
did the biggest fuck up the day before, baby. Really? Like, uh, wear a jumper. It was so awful. Had, and yeah, you weren't allowed to wear a jumper over it. No, you had to show it off. And I remember that the, wow. the owner of the company had to go and have a meeting with Yamaha. And he was wearing the watch because he'd done something stupid the day before. And one of the Yamaha guys said, before we start, what the fuck is that on your wrist? <laughs> Where did you get that watch? It's awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, oh, rubies in it. Oh, it's like, awful. Rubies. Awful. Horrendous. Oh, terrible thing. <laughs> Lovely. Uh, Charlie's got a second question. Does pineapple belong on a pizza? Not for me. Uh, yes. No. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm a yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't uh, like pineapple on anything, though, so... Really? No, it's not yeah, for me. Say, say. Yeah, I'm I'm a definite yes as well. Absolutely. <laughs> uh right, Lee Vigar. Ah, Lee, Lee's the chap I was telling you about, the Triumph Test Rider. Hi all, hope you're all well. My question is for my wife and all the lady riders out there. There is a lot. Why is it oh here we go? Why is it so hard to find good quality female riding kit with a good fit and finish, the same quality that's found in male riding kit? Yes, it's got better over the years but the whole industry needs to catch up with the times so many don't sit on the back anymore we yeah, didn't so mention this, pink this is a problem so this is this is one of my pet subjects luckily because <laughs> i love to mansplain to the they really enjoy as you'd imagine three old three three middle-aged guys talking about women's kits actually yeah, yeah, ideal. Yeah, no, yeah. but luckily it's it's a mirror of what the industry is this mm. is what it is it's, it's massively male dominated yeah so um We'll talk about fit first. Men's really easy because we just get fatter, taller, shorter, and fatter. That's it. It's super simple to make a men's jacket fit well, but at least reasonably. Women's, on the other hand, is really difficult because they have different side chests, hips, shoulders. It's really hard to make it fit. So what has happened in the last, I'm going to say five or six years, is that stretch materials have come about, which means women's kit fits much better now than it used to. Much, much mm. better. So we've got... um We've got a ladies' jacket with full stretch in and another one coming next year. And then we've got a laminate jacket. And I know Rucker have, I think, two laminate stretch jackets for women as well. Uh, so now it is... You. Sorry? have got two of them behind you. Yeah. So that, um, That's Lindstrands. Is that Lindstrands? It's Halverson's. Halverson's, sorry. Yeah. Halverson's. yeah. So, um, so it, the women's fit thing is getting better. We do three leg lengths. The problem is it's still only about 10% of total clothing sales uh, if you're good at it. So I was talking to Moto Legends who are who you know have a wall of ladies kit. They have a they have two women work in the shop. One of the owners is a woman who's very she's very um she knows a lot about kit and knows how she wants it to fit, etc. Mm -hmm. And she's very involved. And even they get up, you know, 15% maybe. So it's still a massive minority of, yeah. of the sales. So if you're running a shop, it's very difficult to have a wall full of women's kit that at the end of the year you've then got a discount and get rid of because the new stuff's coming in or whatever. Yeah, so I think a lot of women are passing their tests, definitely. And there is more and more women out there doing the riding. But the, I think the kit is maybe two or three years behind where the numbers are. But obviously, mm. that's how long it takes to develop a jacket, change track, get it manufactured. Mm. So I think there's always that lag at the moment. Um, I don't want to blow our own trumpet, but we do almost, we do every top of the range jacket we do in our range, except one comes in exactly the same spec for women, three leg lengths, uh, two or three leg lengths. And uh, different sizes, obviously, fit-wise. No pink at all, all just blacks and greys. Really boring, just like the men's. And then we've got blue, dark blue, that dark blue one behind me. Mm -hmm. That's uh, that's coming in a ladies' fit as well. So we're doing that. I know Rucker have got a top-of-the-range suit as well for women that stretch fit and everything. So people are doing better. It's not there yet, but it is getting there. It mm. is, it's tough. It's very, really tough. 
We're um, on... get, we're, when we're showing the stuff in pre-order, so we're um, showing the, the kit to the uh, the people that are going to purchase it, that are, that are going to put it on their wall. We're excited by women's fits because they've got it right. Mm-hmm. And it's generally around the waist. So they've mm-hmm. got a waist adjuster and they're made, you know, the jacket's actually going to make you look like a woman and fits and it's a woman's product. And we're so we're actively telling them that you need to you need to do this kind of thing because you'll become one of the specialists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're aware of the fact that people won't take a risk, even more so now after after Brexit, not knowing what's happening, mm. trying to get the feet back under the table and pay all the bills. So it's a risk um, if it's a if it's a low percentage. But we're still saying to them, look, if we can, if people are calling us, I mean, people from your your podcast, it just let us know. If you if you contact us, we'll tell you the people that have got a wall full of it because mm. they do they do need bigging up because they've they've done it and some of the shops are completely run by women so not only are you gonna you're gonna walk in and yeah the woman's stuff's over there generally it'll be next to the changing room so you don't mm. have to walk around where all the blokes are just having a cup of tea next to the counter they have got a complete wall full of it and they have invested in it and we've got to prove to them that it will sell because. Mm. After a couple of years of them putting, you know, twenty thousand pounds on the wall of women's kit and no one came in, yeah. it's just it's just knowledge. And generally, you'd have to maybe travel a bit further. Mm. Your local dealer hasn't got it in. They may be just selling metal. It could be a motorcycle dealer as opposed to a, a, a clothing specialist, which generally is all we deal with. We're in the in the brands we're working with, we're only really dealing with clothing specialists as opposed okay. to people sell metal and say yeah, clothing's okay, yeah. on the wall over there. You know? Okay. Are you lads all right if if I was to put your um contact details, like your so like your social media stuff? So if if, yeah, if people out there, women out there want to contact you, like you just said, about about places to go and get it, I'll just give them your like Instagram. Because we're on the road and really busy, um, it's it's a good idea to talk to people as well like this mm. you know you you get on the phone just tell us what you need what you what you've experienced and 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 how you need some help we've been we in get for nearly 30 years yeah, and we, we everybody else in the industry i don't know if mixed around this when we do the im talks so we try and do talks to them as much as we can as many as we can because you know it, it's just a good event for everyone to listen and learn about kit um it, before i start talking normally they're early and people are filtering in Normally, you do get quite a lot of women come up to you and saying that exact question. Why is it always pink? Why doesn't it fit properly? Why isn't there yeah. anything good? And then when you get a chance to sit down with them afterwards or during the talk or whatever, and you talk them through it all, they think, oh, thanks, thanks a lot. I didn't know that existed. I didn't know that existed. So mm. it is worth going to a good clothing specialist shop who is, you know, there are, there are stores out there with huge volumes of women's clothing, uh, depending on where you are in the country. Gotcha. Um, right. Uh, places like Hideout Leathers, for example, is run by two women, and they're mm-hmm. absolute specialists in women women's kit in uh, Saffron Walden. So mm-hmm. there's a there are there are good people out there, but you do have to unfortunately look a bit a bit harder. I would say that men are we're not very tactile. When women are a little bit more tactile, they like to see how it feels. Men mm-hmm. tend to just throw a jacket on and and go, yeah, yeah. that'll do. Yeah. Whereas women do tend and again they're going to hate it because I'm generalising. I know, <laughs> but they tend to want to want to feel and fit right and be a better service i think so mm. it's always a little bit harder to get it right for women first of all because their body shape second of all because there's not as much range and third of all because they want it to be just right whereas men tend to mm. just throw a big baggy jacket on and it's not working properly and they're all out there right yeah, yeah, yeah and then you have an argument to get them into it fitting correctly right. so the women will get it fitting correctly straight away but they're also colder 
yeah generally colder than, than guys so you've got to you know that's that's not difficult anymore that's just technology you could run a heated vest you know i am going out in the morning although you know if, if someone's touring on the back of the bike or the front of the bike if they're going out early mornings even in the in the summer in europe you you can just click a heated vest on mm. or wear a down or they need yeah. this information rather than you know being told well there's the only jacket that we've got for you yeah mm. the same specs as the men and we they're mm. definitely they're definitely wearing it and we're definitely doing the job because we go to the shows and talk to them yeah i've got the same spec kit as my husband it's really good or there's something wrong with it or whatever with the with the manufacturers aren't we so we're mm. we're giving both sides of the story hopefully please Sorry to interrupt. Sorry, man. This this delays a, a nightmare at times, isn't it? Um, Lee that posed that question. His wife is actually she's also a, a tester with Triumph, a motorcycle tester with Triumph. So I mean, she's she's wearing she's out riding in all manner of weather, same as Lee, and 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 really does test the kit. Um, we bore her to death, and we could definitely sort it. We do you know um, do you know Steph Jevons? Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. she's been on the podcast. She has, yeah. yeah. Cool. You do watch it or listen to it. Yeah. <laughs> Steph has um, Steph has used Halverson's, I think, yeah. off her back initially, but on the trip she was using Lindstrand's same mm. of kit. She's now got um, the the equivalent of the top of the range laminate suit for men that fits her absolutely perfectly, mm. and she's got an off road school. So she's in Wales, off-road school, using the same kit every single day. I've just taught her how to wash it mm. and, and what to do with it and you know what to wear underneath it. And and we've and I'm I've just done some joint talks with her. I do Isle of Man TT talk and a layering workshop. So that's when we talk about IAM, we're we're just talking about the fact that when they have a general meeting, we can come along and um yeah, they do a few certificates at the beginning, but then I have a, an introduction video which you saw chat a little bit about who I am. But then mm. after that, it's right, we're packing a bag to go away. We're this is what I do to wash it. This is what I do to proof it. This is what I wear underneath it. And this is and these here's some outer garments. And all the time I'm trying not to talk about the brands that I work with. Yeah, just yeah. not a tough wear meeting. These guys will sell you the stuff, but this is how it works. Yeah. And, yeah. and I did one of those with Steph who, who's then gone through her slideshow and her book and we've, we've done two now together and I, and she's just working with me on it. There's lots of things that she's saying. I'm thinking I'm doing that, mm. put your underwear on a, when you're away and you've got two sets of underwear that you're rotating and not bags for the kit. She puts it in a cargo net behind her. So no yeah. flies get on it in the heat to dry out yeah. while she's riding during the day and then switches over to the next one. Brilliant. Mm. I'll do that. It's great idea. I'm talking to her about the fact that um, that you, you run in skinny down to regulate your temperature. If it's still warm, you're getting up in the morning you, and you're mountain riding, and then you come back down is 30 degrees. You can just regulate that with your with your down X. And people haven't got one because they haven't got that jacket and they didn't know yeah. that technology. So we're working together on that. That's a fantastic fitting woman's suit for under mm. a grand. Attach the underwear that as well, and a down jacket, and you've pretty much got anything, any weather in the UK. But maybe as far as you know, you can't go to Italy in the summer, in it because it's a laminate jacket with just zips on. Mm. You'd be into a, a mesh. But for general riding, even if they're a test rider, that that would be a suit that would be washed every month and just wear the thing. 
You don't mm. even have to look out the window, just wear the thing. If you want to keep it cleaner, wear a plastic suit over the top of it. Because yeah, it's if, if, if women are struggling, really, then they want to get in contact with us. Um, they can either do it, obviously, with, through our socials or through Halverson's MC, and we'll point them to a local dealer that we know stocks the kit. So, in you know, right. where they and they have a good range, not just our stuff, because our stuff might not suit. It might, they might be better off with a leather jacket from Alpine Star or whatever. So, we'll try and point them in the direction that gives them the best, the best options. Nice one. Well, folks, what I'll do then, if if you are in if you are in need of that sort of advice, then check out the podcast show notes, or if you're watching a vid, look at the vid description, and uh, the chaps' links will be down there. So drop my link. Right. Cheers for that one, Lee. Next one, Louise Warsfold. Thank you, Lee Vigor, for asking this question. Too too many manufacturers think that adding a pink stripe that that was the one I'd seen. Too many manufacturers think that adding a pink stripe to a men's jacket makes it count as feminine. No one is asking for pastel floral patterns, patterns or unicorn tit tassels, but maybe something designed by a woman for a woman. Also, why is it so hard for clothing manufacturers to make size ordering so hard? I would have spent far more money if I knew what I wanted would actually fit me without having to send stuff back multiple times. We we kind of covered that already, haven't we? About, That's online, about, really, isn't yeah. it? Go to, go to local shop. But, but yeah. then, yeah, in a defence, you've yeah. got to find a shop that, that works. That stocks everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, now, on to my question. If you found yourself stranded on Squid Game Island and you had to pick one of the games to survive, which one would you pick and who are you counting on to get you through safely? Have you watched Squid Games? No. I haven't seen it. Neither. <laughs> have not, none of you watched it? No. No. Have you got Netflix? Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, watch Squid Games. It is not awesome. Not the crown. No one's no, 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 definitely not the crew. No one's buying any of our kit now. We haven't watched that. <laughs> Squid Games is a, I think it's Korean. Yeah. I think it's originally a Korean um, idea, a show, but it's, it's basically uh, these mega rich people have set up a, a game, a game show. And the people that get on the game show are people who basically are in need of money. It's people in lots of debt for whatever reason, gamblers, people that have needed to take on loans for family businesses. Yeah, 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 basically. Yeah. Yeah. Someone that wants a, a ruckus suit, all that. Yeah, that's people, people have put themselves into debt and um, they have recruiters that go around and recruit people to come in and join the next season of the show but nobody knows what the show is so they all turn up and and basically it is a show to the death there's lots of different levels and each level is various different things like uh, i think the first level say there was a hundred contestants and they have uh, a big sort of robot thing that has machine guns for eyes. You've seen oh, that one. Seen that, and, yeah, the, yeah. and the idea is when it's not bit. watching. Yeah, yeah. So you have to go still. So it's all things like they've got a tug of war where the losers get pulled off a precipice into the abyss. So that whole team dies. It's all lots of things like that. And it just gets progressively worse and worse and more severe and more severe. It's amazing. You've got to watch it. It's brilliant. <laughs> but a pick and level. Um, yeah. wearing your own protective equipment to test it. <laughs> no, pick, pick someone to get you no, through it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's just which game would you pick? But if you've not wa- watched it, you wouldn't you won't know what the games were. Me again, folks, just a short one this. We are also sponsored this month by the Influencer Store. If you go to teapot1.com, you'll go to the shop, check out any of the merchandise that I have available. That is all handled by the Influencer Store right here in the UK. I've got a quick bit of blurb to read out for them, and that is, 
The Influencer Store helps you build your brand, big or small, providing you with a solution and apparel. We help you to increase your fan base while supporting you with starting your own influencer clothing line with nothing more than just an idea or design. And there are no hidden costs. For more info, come check us out at theinfluencerstore.co.uk or drop us an email at online at influencerstore.co.uk for more information. Make sure you check them out, folks. Head to teapot1.com, head to the show, head to the shop. And you'll be supporting both the Teapot One channel and the podcast right here if you buy anything from the merchandise. So a massive thanks in advance to you and a huge thanks to the Influencer Store. And lastly, folks, I just want to say a massive thank you to you. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast, for watching the vids, for commenting, for liking, for sharing, for following and subscribing. It all is a massive, massive help. We're on a bit of an upturn at the moment. The podcast is gathering momentum. The channel is certainly doing really well. So a huge thanks to everybody who's been involved with that. If you want to go that extra mile, then you can always buy some merch over at teapot1.com. Or if you really want to get committed, you can join the clan over at patreon.com forward slash teapot1. All links for everything are down below, folks. I appreciate any support in any form you can give. All right, then. That's enough with the begging bowl. Let's get back to the podcast. Uh, cheers to that one, Louise. Sorry we can't answer <laughs> that because um, the, the boys haven't watched you Squid Games. Uh, for me, cool. oh, God, what game? What game? Jeez. I like the tug of war one. And I like that first one, but I don't think I'd be very good at, at staying still, to be <laughs> honest. I shake like a shitting dog. I've got I got I got really bad concussions from my rugby days, and it's left me with really shaky, particularly shaky left hand, but both my hands will shake a lot. So I have these like tremors now. So yeah, I can't yeah, I would be dead quite quick, I think. Paint <laughs> dangerous sport, wouldn't play. Yeah. I played on Saturday. Yeah. So but you're still no. playing? Just about. Yeah, when I'm needed. When I'm needed. Wow. They let, me, they let me play them. Let me play number eight on Saturday, which is rare. Normally they don't let me play eight because that's my favorite position. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, I played Saturday. The the game is so different to the game I played. Like I, I sort of gave up mid-20s. My God. Like 90, 90s was my heyday at rugby. And it is so different from that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's moved on too far for me as well. I'm 41 now and I can't keep up. So wow. that's why I play when I'm needed, when they're shorter numbers. Yeah, yeah, got you, got you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's just everything. I mean, the pace it's played at is phenomenal now. It's just mm -hmm. so quick and they're all massive. It used to be, if you were big, you were a forward. Now you've got wingers that are like six foot five and 19 stone. They're all a couple, like of, couple of years ago, we did um, Bournemouth Sevens tournament um, and uh, quite a few years ago, actually, but Josh Lucy was our um, was our coach. Yeah. So one of the guys knew him, so he came and coached us. We were playing touch, and I thought he's not that big. And then I ran into him, and it was literally like running into a brick wall. I was like, oh, yeah. that's what happens when you get conditioned by a professional. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I met I met Lawrence Delalio not long after he he stopped playing for England. Oh my god, that guy was just like I'm a I am a straight bloke. I like ladies. Do you know what I mean? If he if he wanted to get dirty with me, you're not going to say no. The guy, his legs were like that big. You know what I mean? You're like this bloke could do whatever he wants to anybody because you're not going to win. And he was enormous. <laughs> anyway, we're going off topic again. Yep, again. La last one of the um, of the patron question. So you lads, okay for time? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Michael Heaton. Hiya. So that's my catchphrase. Hiya. <laughs> Sorry about such a boring question, but since Gore-Tex only works when clean, what is actually the best way to clean Gore-Tex lined or laminated Gore-Tex clothing? 
Okay. Good. I was hoping Great someone question. was asked that. So there's clean and Gore-Tex. It's really simple, really. So take all your armor out. Depends yep. what Gore-Tex jacket you've got to check the label, obviously, to double check before I say definitely do this. But all Gore-Tex, Gore- this is Gore-Tex brand, just to be clear. So a lot of people confuse Gore-Tex with waterproofing. If it's Gore-Tex on its own, then it should be machine washable. So you mm-hmm. take all the armor out, all the linings out, do all the zips up, put it in the washing machine. It's yep. good for it. Use Nikwax or Storm are probably two major brands. Storm is the mm-hmm. one that they sort of recommend for Rucker, but you yep. can use either really. Um, you have two bottles. One goes in the conditioner drawer. Oh, with Storm, one of them goes in the conditioner drawer. One goes in the fabric softener drawer. So it's mm-hmm. easy. It's green for clean. The green one goes in the yep. detergent drawer. The uh, the um, blue goes in the fabric softener drawer. Wash it and then try and apply some heat to it in an airing cupboard if you can, because it helps activate the um, water-resilient coating. And that's it, clean and wash. If you use Nikwax, you have to do them on separate wash cycles, and you have to clean the drum first. Don't use Daz or Ariel or any of that stuff, because it blocks yeah. up all the pores in the um, in the jacket and stops it breathing. Um, the reason and it stops off the DWR from the outside of the um, jacket as yeah, well. Yeah, so, so every, every jacket you ever buy will have, well, any quality jacket you ever buy will have a DWR on the outside, which stands for Durable Water Resilient Coating. So the water will run off it. Mm-hmm. When it's new, it'll like mercury off. Yeah. Over time, that wears off and the um, the coating wears off and you have to reactivate that by using Storm or Nikwax and then add, adding heat if you can. So that's how you wash it. It's really straightforward. Right. I'd say tumble dry. I'm not sure what... Sorry? Tumble dry it on low. You can tumble dry it if you want. Take the armor out. I'm going to admit something. I did. I, as far as I know, I've done exactly what you said with my mm-hmm. Rucka Navala. Yeah. Because I had I'd worn it for a year and had never washed it, and I was wearing it every because it was bogging. It was proper mm-hmm. bogging. So I did exactly what I think you've just said, and I used mm-hmm. the storm stuff, and then basically straight from that, I was heading to Romania, and I got soaked. The the jacket the jacket saturates now the water doesn't run off it just saturates straight in and I was like what have I done wrong I don't know what I've done wrong I don't know either huh the other thing is is I don't know what it is either I watched a video I I was trying to get this in layman's terms and I was just watching all the videos there's a guy that was in his garage and he's got a rucker suit on the floor and it's covered in mud Um, and you can see he's got his bikes and stuff he's got a washing machine in the garage. And and he said, um, put the put your machine just in case there's any detergent in it. Put your machine on a uh, speed wash, mm-hmm. and what was doing that? Take the armor out, do up all the zips, mm-hmm. um, and then he was measuring out using more. Um, he was using Granger's, so it's a two in one wash. So you just pour that in, but firstly you clean the drawer, so you because mm-hmm. you might have detergent in the drawer. So clean. Yeah, the, I did that. Yeah, warm water, stick the drawer in use the ball or whatever and just you maybe overuse the product put it in on a um, on a speed wash and then when it stops take the garment out put it on the line let the water drip out of it so that you're not using so much energy when you tumble dry it but always tumble dry it or apply heat somehow you know not mm. on it directly but maybe it's, the towel on it. but the, all these products are activated by heat also when you tumble dry it you're standing the fur up so you've applied static, so the water bounces off. Mm. If you're going to go out in the rain like I did in Scotland, where you're doing nine days and it's hammering the whole time, and there was only a couple of times that we've got dry rooms, and then it's beautiful, and then you just put everything into the drying. Um, I also use Fabsil, which is a silicon spray for the outside. Yeah. Just out. Storm do one as well. Yeah, and, or, yeah a, a, some sort of silicon spray. 
And if you're using a rucksack um, without your heat light on, um, that's shivering. So it's wearing off the DWR. But with it, wearing it off. With your Navara, uh, it's a laminate, so it shouldn't pick up lots of water. It's picking up lots of water. Oh, that's a that's be. a problem. Yeah, it's 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 like absolutely saturated. I, I noticed it in in when I was in Romania because one of the guys I was with had. Uh, another Novala jacket. He just bought the Novala jacket, and I stood next to him and I looked, and his jacket, all the water was just beading off and running, and mine was just soaking straight in. I'm like, what have I done different on this? I, I wondered if maybe when I tumble dried it, I had it on the absolute lowest setting of the tumble dryer, and I thought, I wonder if that was too low, if it wasn't hot enough. No, it's just got to apply a little bit of warmth to it. Yeah, because yeah. the jacket came out and it didn't even feel warm when you it came out the tumble dryer. The, you could destroy the rubber or, you know, mm. pieces on the outside of the jacket. The the membrane will cope with it, but don't right. don't just whack everything up on the pot. It's a bit dirty. Just yeah. just wash it because of the construction of the jacket it shouldn't take on loads and loads of water. So if it's taking loads of water, like an old jacket would have done, then it, it there may be a bigger problem, but you don't have to look at the jacket okay. to find out. If it's yeah. delaminated, that's a problem because it creates a gap between the outer and the membrane and then the water fills the gap. Whereas right. that should be one material together. So there should be nowhere for the water to sit except for yeah. between except for between the stitches. So it's difficult without obviously seeing it or looking, but um it's absolutely hammering down, I'd say work also with the silicon spray. Yeah. Right. So yeah. It's basically a tent spray and then you really see it. Yeah. So when you take it out the You've done the washing and the and the drying process. Put yeah. it on the tap. Just get the arm of the jacket and put it under the tap and see what happens. Have a look. It should mercury off. It should it look like mercury. Yeah, it, it, it didn't. Straight, that, was, that was the thing I noticed straight away. It was like riding through, literally heading to the tunnel. So I, I washed it the day before I left. That That's how much forward planning I put in. <laughs> so I'd washed it, and then the next morning, put the jacket on, headed to the tunnel. And it was raining. So I remember coming out the tunnel in Cali and riding and thinking, I just remember looking and thinking that's it's not running off the way it, it, it usually to. does. So by the time like uh, the end of that day, I wasn't I wasn't wet because the, the it wasn't coming through, but mm-hmm. the jacket felt really cold because it was just Damp. sodden and and the other thing is is that you if it's wet out, you've got no breathability, you're also wearing cotton. So mm. if it was warmish at all yeah. and you've got the sweat going into your t-shirt, that's where it's yeah. staying. Yeah. Yeah. So if you've got some sort of, especially with Merino, you can really see it and feel it, even if the jacket's leaked. I've had a, I've had a situation where the, where it's, come, it's raining that much, it's come through the zip, mm-hmm. and I didn't actually notice it until I stopped and we're having a coffee, and I'm like, oh, look, I've got beads of water on my arm. Yeah. I couldn't feel it because I was wearing Merino. If I had a, um, a grey shirt on or some sort of cotton underwear, it would have been soaked and I'd have just thought, my God, my jacket's completely failed because you just put one droplet of water on cotton and it's just all over the place. Yeah, yeah it's absolutely. Never put your jeans in the bath, pick them out, see how long it takes them to dry. Mm-hmm. It's two days, isn't it? <laughs> I, I'm gonna have to dig out. My, I'm gonna have to find where my uh, base layers are then because I've not used them since my since my sports bike where, days. I'll need to dig them out. Where, where are you based? Me, uh, just near Maidstone down in Kent. Right. So if you go and see, there isn't really a Halverson's dealer there. It used to be Laguna, but you'd need to go and see Mark at uh, JNS, who I think JNS. you know anyway. Yeah, I know yeah Mark. you know Mark yeah, in yeah. there, yeah. Uh-huh. So you go yeah, and see yeah. Mark and just ask you. He, they do, they do um, knitquacks, big knitquack sales. So they should have a, a TX Direct spray, I think, that you could probably spray onto it. It would probably be the best bet. 
okay, to give cool. it a go on top of your jacket. They're, they're, they're really good at Nick Quacks at JNS. So they should know everything you need to know. So let's just go and have a chat to him. Yeah, I will do that. And he's, and he's also a really nice guy and makes good coffee. So <laughs> He's a lovely fella, isn't he, Mark? Yeah. Nice guy. Yeah. I've, not, I've not been in for a long time, actually. I need to. He's, need to he's still there. <laughs> Excellent. I'll, t- I'll tell him you said hello. Um, Michael's got a second sort of question. Also, what's best, full English or a burger? Oh, full English. I'm a full English guy as well. Yeah, full Scottish, yeah. I reckon, because you've got those. You get haggis. Or oh, long <laughs> yeah. sausage. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I'm converted now after that trip. <laughs> um, but uh, but just to throw a spanner in, I'm also uh, I'd rather have a burger than a steak, which is a, a bit weird for a lot of people. So, what really? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. God, no steak! It steak winds all people up me. all the time. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> steak is... restaurant, I order the burger or the ribs or something. <laughs> I I can't I can't do the big full cooked breakfast when like, if I'm away on tour and stuff because my without wanting to lower the tone any further on this podcast, anyone that's been away on a bike trip with me will know my stomach is not the best. So like in the morning, I can't, for a big fat guy, I can't, I can't eat much in the mornings because otherwise I'm in tatters for the day. So everyone else is tucking into big English breakfasts. I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't have it. I want like a banana or something. Anyway, right. Uh, okay. Are you guys okay for time? There's a couple yeah. on Instagram yeah. and a couple on Facebook. Cheers, boys. Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, okay, so we'll head across. Thank you very much to everybody in the clan that's uh, left those questions. Head across to Instagram now, at Teapot1. Insta, Scott Partington, would you recommend Aramid Armoured Hoodies? If so, what is the best on the market? Now, I appreciate you might not be able to put your head on the, the block in terms of actual names of products, but... I think you've got you... to consider what we were saying about fit. Yeah. Mm. So if I jumped over the handlebars at 50 mile an hour, even if it was on a moped, how the hell is that going to stay in place? So if it's, um, but then, you know, I've just been to Milan and there are women in in dresses, yeah. you know, on scooters and they're, yeah, yeah. and I didn't see any crashes and I didn't, there was no beeping horns or whatever. They've all been on bikes since they were about 14. But from a, from a protective point of view, saying which one's the best, it would be the one that looks the best and it's got level two armor in it. And, mm. more, and maybe completely Kevlar lined. So yeah, I think I think you're right. I think it's all about what what you're doing. If it's if I'm just riding a scooter around a city, yeah, it's perfect because it, you know that's probably okay. But you, I, I would go for comfort and style first, and then mm-hmm. the, you know, and make sure it's from a reputable manufacturer. I've got it here. I've got my um, this is a resurgence rider shirt that I just wear generally, but it fits mm-hmm. me pretty tight, and it's got D3R armor in it. I know it's it's not it's not up to much, but if I'm, you know, you're you're on the bike going to the post office, yeah. or just you know to a bike meet five miles away, you're not going to dress up like Rossi. Yeah, exactly. I, I also was, been, I've I've never tried a hoodie on that fits me well a motorcycle hoodie yet. I'm yet to find one that I think fits like a a casual, well fitted hoodie yet. So have you tried the reason I'm the reason I'm going to ask you this is because I've just been given one to try <laughs> and I'm wearing I'm wearing it. I'm off to Spain with Toro Adventure next week. So I'm I'm going to be wearing that down there. Roadskin have just launched their uh armored hoodie mm-hmm. which which has also got I, I was listening to what you were saying, Mick, about the, the you know tops riding up and things like that. If they're if they're not in place, they're not going to protect. Well, that, I think that what they said to me, I've not looked at it yet, but it's got loops to go around your belt to hold the hoodie in place. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, I mean, I try. I'm only tried it in the shop, and I rode home wearing it as well. Um, 
Yeah, it fit. It seems to fit lovely. It's great. It's got all the armor so built in. You're out in the evening going to a restaurant or something yeah. like that. It's with you, isn't it? You got your yeah. Nevada touring, doing the doing the big hard miles. Yeah, you could use, and yeah. that's equally. I wouldn't even take that away with me because it's just I've got such a lightweight suit that mm. I just use it the whole time. And if we were in a town nipping out, you might have your armored jeans on and that jacket, but they would be connected together. Yeah, the jeans. Yeah. Talking of that, and I know it's Haversons, but we just created a jean that's coming out next year that's got the zip attached. So the, the the zip is actually really? there's no kind of well if you put this on it or do this to it the zip is there so if you've got a uh, an equivalent jacket yeah they're they're fantastic so we've kind of designed them ourselves mm. we want one of these we want them to be short leg we want lovely women's jeans as well with a high back yeah. they suffer from that they're cold the fact that they you you know they they ride down but so you'd have a high back jean that attaches. But it, yeah, if you, I mean, going back to his question, just make sure that it's it's really well fitted, not mm-hmm. bulky and loose. Just just imagine yourself climbing over the bars and yeah. hitting the tarmac and where where it would move and how it would work. And it, and again, it's a compromise because it's not a car. Mm-hmm. If you you're going to lose, <laughs> you know, yeah. you yeah, yeah. What, pickle, you will lose. Yeah. But, what what you're wearing is the the. Uh, crumple zone that you get in a car, isn't it? So it's, it's what is around your skin. Ride as if everybody's going to kill you. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe that's that's the high vis question, isn't it? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Really work. Don't rely on the fact that that bloke can see you. Hmm. Just react to the fact that he's definitely not. <laughs> it's true, though. Road, it's whatever. true. He's not it's... seen, even if he looks like he has. I mean, me and Mickey, me and Mickey used to ride around in paddock jacket and Levi's for the whole of the nineties. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, it's not, it's not all about safety. <laughs> <laughs> right, nice one, Scott. Uh, Wonder Wonder L P N W. Can textiles be as safe as leathers? Uh, okay, that's a different angle of the question. Then it's not it, are leathers better than textiles? Can textiles? be as safe as leather? Is it? Is that ever going to be an option? There's a, You've got that kind of, um, using high art, something underneath, some sort of aramid or something underneath the textile. Depends on how far you slide. Mm. You know, if you're going to have a big slide and you're going to produce a lot of heat um, in the bum area, it's normally the the area of contention that we've, we've done some genes where we're looking at them thinking, why haven't we done what we always do? Even in the textiles, underneath them is higher. So it's a high abrasion-resistant textile. Um, right. Basically, terry toweling. So you've got um, loops that you can't keep still. So it's like trying to cut through the, the grain of wood. Uh, but if you, if you hit the floor and you, you burn through the smooth surface and then the next surface is loops, you've got to keep those still to then burn right through them. Gotcha. You, you're not sure about how many seconds it would last, but the fact is that the outer surface of leather, if you keep it oiled and you keep it supple, is is always going to be always going to be I a better option if it's nailed together. Just right. that there's been obviously a fair few questions on leather versus tech, so yeah, it's quite yeah. a good. Um, Bennett's bike social have done a chat to Brian from BKS. Mm-hmm. And he talks quite a lot about it in that because he's got a new textile suit and obviously he mainly does leathers. So he he doesn't really have a 
you know, a sway either way. And so he's quite honest and open about it. It's actually quite a good little video on YouTube. So he talks about textiles and leather and he still thinks leather is stronger. And I think his mm. textile suits 2,700 pounds. And it's the old professional standard it hits as well. So it, it really is, it's all custom made, obviously made to measure all that sort mm. of thing. Um, and his hits the old safety standard as well. So, and he's still saying, you know, the ultimate is still leather. So that that's where we're at. It's not far off. I mean, I've crashed in a, a fair few textile suits and they've done the job. And I've seen, mm. I've seen in my time at Rucker, particularly a lot of textiles been down the road real fast and they've done the job. So it does depend how far you want to go with it, as you say. And as Mick keeps mm. saying, do you want to be in a car in, or in with my, a full? Yeah, yeah, in my true. racing experience, we, we were allowed to wear uh, Kevlar's. So when I was Grand Prix in the late 90s, uh, Billand, Rolf Billand looked superb in his Kevlar suits with um, with printed logos on his on his suits. And it, he looked ace, but when they went upside down, he was just, they were both bruised to bits. And yeah. I think, I'm sure this is true, that they were banned in the Isle of Man. So that was, you know, actual Kevlar technology with the, with the armour on. That would have gone on. Obviously, it would have been better in these days, but... Rossi would be, and his mates would be using it because they're looking at the, the pinnacle, you know, the, yeah. the best technology to look after these boys. They would have, they've, they've got more, more and more textile in the suits in the areas where you don't stretch panels and stretch panels. Yeah. Before, I mean, if you look back to the sixties, they were just wearing a dead cow, weren't they? With a number on the back. So they are actually wearing textile. There are, there are panels in there that are, that are textile, but not on the, not on the, uh, the main crash areas. Yeah, it'll be leather. You can buy Most... a textile leather jacket, sorry, a textile touring jacket, and it's got um, nubuck and leather panels on it, isn't it? Yeah. And the, on yeah. the shoulders and the elbows. There's a reason for that. Mm -hmm. Also, you've you've got with textiles in in the other problem with textiles historically is they were loose and baggy, so the armor moved, as we say before. Whereas leather is much stretchier and fitted a bit better. Mm -hmm. But as technology's moved on in textiles, you're getting a better fit. Like your Navala's got some stretch in it, so you can get it to fit a little bit better. Yeah. Some of our stuff has got more stretch, so it fits better. Um, so that's where it's catching up. But again, you know, if you're gonna fall off, there is a, there are there are triple A textile suits, so Klim do one, BKS hideout triple A as well, I think. Uh, do I one think as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um you can get a triple A version, but if you feel them, they're quite heavy. And yeah. Thick. You compare that to a triple A leather, the triple A leather is still lightweight by comparison. Yeah. And it's all compromise. The fact is that you can still have a two piece leather suit in the highest spec and wear it on your touring bike. You still could use it. And there's still people that insist on wearing leather trousers and zip them to their textile yeah. jacket, which is fine. Yeah. And yeah, their yeah. legs are, but the, the, the main thing is their arse is more protected mm. because, as I said, we're an exception to the rule that when you put that kind of um, uh, slide protection underneath, you know, if you look at most of the trousers that, that you look at, you're going to go down on your ass. Mm -hmm. you know, if you drop <laughs> right now, you, you're hitting your butt cheek on the road. And if you keep it there, you're going to burn through it. Yeah. That's, that's where you spend most of your time when you end up sliding, isn't it? Most of <laughs> yeah. you're going to flip over onto your back eventually, <laughs> and then then you slide. Yeah, um, it's interesting what you're saying there about um, textiles now incorporating leather patches and stuff, Mick. Because I know I don't know if it's public yet. I don't know if it's on public release. I'm not sure. I just know from someone in my past way of life. I know Rucker have developed a suit on from the Navala, which which was because of the slide rating 
criticism. I know they were getting a lot of criticism uh, on the Novala in particular because I think it's only double A. It's not triple A, is it? The Novala. Oh, it's single A. Oh, single A. That that was what it was. Yeah, the the, the, the actual slide rating was so low. What they've done is I've seen I've seen the jacket and it has I don't know if it's leather but it's got it's got it's like Kepri-Tec. proper yeah it's, is that yeah it's called a Kingsley Jack Kingsley so yeah so it's got Kepri-Tec on the on the slide impact areas okay and uh, is that which, raised the the slide yeah. rating the protection yeah, so rating? that gives it that that hits up to the double double A rating level gotcha right. um, so the Navala's full stretch which is why it's so comfortable and it's still the one I would buy so. I actually prefer yours to the current one because I think it's yeah. a nicer, nicer design than the personally. Mm. Um, but the new Kingsley's a stronger suit. But if you put it on, it's much, it's nowhere near as comfortable as a Navala. Right. So again, you you take your choice which way you want to go yeah. with it, I think. Um, and all their products are great, you know. The designers that, are good, the product's good. Is that public yet, the Kingsley? Is yeah. that it is, yeah, it yeah, is yeah, public. All yeah. oh, right, okay. I yeah, wasn't the latest, sure suit, was, the latest suit this year is the Navala 2, the replacement to yours. And I yeah. think the Kingsley came out last year. Uh, I think it's about fifteen hundred pounds ish, okay. maybe for the jacket, mm. just for the jacket. So it's a good suit though, it's well made suit. Yeah, it should be yeah. it's a little suit of armor. They actually made one twenty years ago. Again, I'm talking about history now, called the SRO suit, uh, and that was the first ever laminate motorcycle suit on the market with Gore-Tex XCR. Mm. And that was a thousand pounds twenty years ago, just for the jacket. Wow, twenty years ago. Good yeah. God. Yeah. I had a I had yeah. Mick, Mick, Mick bought it around to my parents' house when he first started working for Rucker to show it to me when I was still living at home with my parents. <laughs> yes, Mick <laughs> sent. <laughs> uh, right, cheers for that one. Uh, Wonder L in PNW. The last one on Instagram, the ginger bearded biker. Hi, Bruce. Love the show and listen weekly. Thanks very much, bud. I ride all year round and I've been trying to find out whether all motorbike waterproof clothing is waterproof to an extent. My issue I've found is that waterproof textiles that aren't waterproof. Sorry, my issue I found is that waterproof textiles aren't waterproof. I've owned RST textile trousers, jacket, and two pairs of Oxford Tracker 2.0 boots. They all leaked after 10 to 15 minutes of riding. I got Alpine Star Gore-Tex boots, and they don't leak at all. Is Gore-Tex the only material that can handle 30 minutes plus journeys around 60, 70 miles per hour in pouring rain? Okay, so is, is Gore-Tex basically where you need to go, or Gore-Tex Pro, if you want complete waterproof kit? Well, I've been, like I said, I did Outer Hebrides, back in, back around the top road, right around the top, round, then back through Glencoe, no waterproof um, suit over the top, no plastic Johnny suit over the top. Everybody else I was with did that, but I was testing it. So I'm writing all the information down all the way, and you know it's not Gore-Tex mm. I'd say no the manufacturers that are doing high-end non-Gore-Tex equipment wouldn't agree that it's got to be Gore-Tex but that's the pinnacle you know those yeah. are the guys that are doing the testing and that's what you're paying for so everything else that you, you could also say that um it's got to be fit for purpose isn't it is it if that was as someone who's commuting and doing a lot of miles and did you buy the right equipment mm-hmm it sounds like it was at the at the bottom end of the ranges to me, mm-hmm. you know, in money. We're talking about, yeah. I mean, look at your suit. Look at the suits. Yeah, yeah. You know, these are six, five, six hundred pound jackets, 400 pound trousers upwards. Mm-hmm. So it, to a certain extent, you get what you pay for. But some of the things that we've been talking about, 
if that's a new suit, then it's it's a different ball game, isn't it? If you say, no, I had it a year and this has happened, or I washed it and this has happened, mm. all these things you've got to apply to it. Wearing the right underwear, having the right garments in. We've even spoken to people that have got a drop liner uh, or an adventure suit with a lining that comes out. Oh, it's completely soaked. Did you take the lining out? Yep. Well, the lining is the waterproof membrane. <laughs> really? <laughs> Once a week. Once a week. I would say that happens. Yeah. Constant. Because they buy it online and no one tells them. And then you get a phone oh. call, my jacket leaks, and you go, you with the, that's the waterproof bit you've taken out. And they so, go, oh. is it? Yeah. I mean, what wow. I to that guy is give us a shout, ring me, contact me, and I'll put him in a suit that won't leak. And it's the okay. same suit that Steph Jevons has got, who's working in uh, Wales on an off-road school, riding in rivers, and mm. then cleaning it and using it on the road as well because they've got two types of tour. And will say to me, just I think I should wash it for no particular reason, but it will feel better if you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, gore, gore is gore is the pinnacle, and it's but it's also the most expensive. Mm-hmm. If you've got a thousand to fifteen hundred pounds to spend on a jacket, gore's fantastic. We we're not in that level. We're in the sort of four to six hundred pound price point. Mm-hmm. So if you if you're in that level, our oh, stuff's brilliant. There are other manufacturers that work in that level as well that are good. Yeah. I yeah. think Revit have bought out a seven hundred pound jacket. There's non Gore-Tex now. I think Danny's the same. So it's there are people Simpatex. playing in that sort of area. Or Simpatex. Yeah. So you can get waterproof if you go right to the bottom. The the standard for waterproofing is so low because it's a essentially a gardening standard to be dry in the garden or walking about. If you're 100 miles an hour down an autobahn yeah, in the yeah. driving rain, it's going to leak. Yeah, There's yeah. no doubt about it. And and you kind of have to be a bit realistic when you're talking £200 for a jacket. It's probably not going to do the job because if you think about how much that jacket's costing to make where they've had to cut the corners, it's probably not going to do the job that you want it to do in those conditions. Also, yeah. one thing I'm going to mention, because it's just a funny story. A guy came up to me at the show and he said, uh, you sold me a jacket last year. I said, right. He said, it's leaking. I said, okay, no problem get it washed, speak to the dealer. They'll send it off, get it checked for you. It was a rucker one. Any problems? And he went, no, no, it's leaking through the neck. And I said, what, where the hole is? <laughs> where the head? hole is? <laughs> yeah. And he went, yeah. So I don't know what you want me to say. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. So, so The public are awesome, aren't they? Amazing. I think he was expecting a scuba diving suit, but yeah, yeah, um, yeah. anyway. So yeah, that went down his neck. So people have got, the other thing about cotton is if it's sticking out the top of your jacket, it'll it wick absorbs. all the way down and you'll end up with a big wet thing. Or if yeah. you've got a bit of a belly, the other thing with the belly is it pushes your jacket out of the bottom and then the water comes up and hits the bottom of your belly yeah. and you get a wet stomach. So you yeah. need a high, high trouser generally. Yeah, high trouser yeah. and a bit of a brace that you can attach to it maybe gotcha. to, go over gotcha. to, to cover that area. So you can get waterproof that isn't Gore-Tex, but if you've got, you know, a lot of money to spend on a suit, Gore is probably still the pinnacle out there. But you've still got it's still got to fit right, and you've still got to have the right stuff underneath it, and you've still got to maintain it. I still love at my talks, and they've got amazing suits. And I've walked in and seen someone and thought, right, okay, his suit is hanging. He's got a cotton shirt underneath it, and I use him as an example. Mm. So all his mates will laugh at him. He's done this wrong, that wrong, this because obviously he's going on about having the best suit and spending all the money, and I've just ripped him to pieces. (laughs) Then I'll give him a free underwear top or something to make and give him a clap. But if you can put all these things together and buy the buy the correct item for what you're doing, so that if this guy's, he might have bought them in a sale. But if he's if he's invested in a set of Gore-Tex boots, then he understands that what oh, that was really good technology. I really like that. Then just go with that feeling. If you get your money back, then go to a shop. Say right, I'm doing this. I'm commuting yeah. six miles a day. 
It's pouring with rain. I've just been, went, you know, going on about Italy. But when I was there, there's people just in a, um, that they're just wearing uh, down jackets at the minute. It's that kind of weather. It's only, it's 17 degrees during the day. It's seven at night. It's hammering mm. when we got back. It's awful. So we're, we're probably one of the countries that's got the most extreme weather. Everything's yeah, yeah. clean, it's wet, it's damp all the time. It's got a hard job to do. The other thing that we haven't mentioned is don't switch your heated seat on and don't put your heated grips on full blast if it's pouring down with rain because the membranes work on the basis that mist goes through and it can work in both directions. So if you put if you put water onto a heated grip and turn mm. them up full blast, and put your hand over it, that membrane is going to take the water as mist in, into the glove. So if you find that you've got two gloves on the grips, oh, these gloves are rubbish, and they're Gore-Tex, and they cost 200 quid or whatever. They yeah. always, nothing works. Turn the heat off and make sure your gloves are your gloves are underneath your jacket and they're done up correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's when the Velcro comes in, like the guy was talking about, do the zip up, get it all tight, yeah. always have them underneath. And people say, oh, I don't understand that because the air is going that way and the water will too. Well, as soon as you shut the throttle off or you're doing, which you are, about 40 average, even if you're doing 150 on your sports bike, it will, that lining is made to wick in this way as well. Mm. Unless they're a posh glove with a pull cord on and an insert. And Generally speaking, they should be underneath. And the heated seat will work in the same way. You've got the heated seat turned up because it's cold and wet. You've got a pool of water on the seat that turns into mist and comes straight through the membrane every mm. time I ride. So that's one of the questions that our specialist dealers should be asking you. Have you got yeah. If, if it's uh, leak. Sorry, I, I I never knew that about the heat. I, I knew about the the, the gloves because I always used to I always mm. used to wear my gloves over my jacket and. Like every pair of gloves I ever wore, my hands were getting wet. I was just like, "These things are shit." But uh, yeah, but it was once once I got like the rucker suit, and I could easily get the you know once you invest in a good textile suit, and you can easily get the sleeve over your gloves. Because I was just wearing leather before that, so um, you had no option really. But yeah, once it went over, it was like, "Oh, my hands are dry." <laughs> Why is that then? Because I couldn't. <laughs> my brain can compute that. I was like, "But surely." Surely, how I don't understand, but as you just said, loads of glove yeah. tips. Loads of yeah. glove tips. Here's another tip that's really cheap. This, this is if you can buy these as well, because um, I don't know what other manufacturers are doing, but um, in Halverson's, you can buy a, a waterproof neck piece that goes up over the top of your jacket. So, I was in a situation where I was coming back from the boat, uh, Santander turned up 17 degrees just down the road. I knew it was going to be hammering the rain, but. I thought it was going to be at Bristol, but it hit us beforehand. So we had to go into services there were, with a load of Harley riders that were wearing their checky shirts. Put, yeah, absolutely soaked. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. into a clear visor, put my waterproof gloves on, take my neck tube off because it wicks water. Wicks, and yeah. on. But my jacket has got a magnet at the front, four magnets on, and this neck tube that goes round that is on the outside. So the guy who, the new technology... The guy yeah. who's got water going in the top now, you've got the tube, the, and you've got one on your Navala. Yeah, Navala's got one, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. Brilliant. it's brilliant. And I only use that when it's hammering down with rain yeah. and then put it in my pocket where I can find it. Another, another yeah. tip with gloves, so we'll go on all night if we're not careful, but um, if, you, uh, if you ride every day in the winter, when you get home at night, put your gloves in the air and cover where it's hot and get them nice and warm 
and then put them on before you push your bike outside. Because if your hands get cold pushing your bike outside, they'll just stay cold. So put your hands in nice warm gloves, then ride your bike out of the garage. Don't push your bike out with nothing on your hands because your hands will get cold and then they'll just be cold. Yeah, it's common sense. It's common sense, isn't it? Now you say it. I think I think this could make a really good a, a really good vid actually to explain all these basic. I'll have to look at doing something like that then. You know, the best will in the world. The, the podcast, the pod, the audio podcast gets about fifteen odd thousand downloads a month, which is not massive, but it's it's not bad for a podcast. The video side of it doesn't do particularly well, so I'd like I'd like to do I'd like to do something based around what we've chatted about on the main Teapot channel because obviously the reach on that is is far bigger. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting. Actually, there's lots of stuff we chatted about. I didn't know. You know I, I knew nothing about it. It matters almost as much what you wear under your outer garments as, as what you wear, you know, outside. Um, I didn't know about the heat side of things with heated grips, heated seats. Didn't know any of that. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of little hints and tips. I think that we and can, most people, we can and most people to. don't, most journalists don't either. So when I had hmm. some journalists up the other day, you know, they said, yeah, and they said, Oh, we've got to do some more stuff with you guys. Cause we didn't know any of that because no. people just send them kit. They test it and they go, yeah, it's all right. Or it's no good. Or I liked or yeah. I didn't. And, yeah. and, and they're not being they're not being trained on it. Um, and one of the one of my favorite stories is there was a tank bag we used to do. This was a long time ago, and we sent this tank bag to a, a well-respected publication. And they gave it five out of ten, and they said it's because it didn't have enough magnets in it. Now, in their review, they said they didn't. They'd like a bag where you tuck the magnets away so it doesn't get stuck to cars as you walk past it. Mm. Ours were tucked away when we sent it to them. They never found them. Uh-huh. All right. They said there weren't enough magnets on it, so it got a bad score because no one had explained it to them. On how to use it. Yeah, mm. from that moment on, I used to go to the magazines and explain the product to them, every single product, so they understood yeah. it before they tested it. So that, you know, it's it's. I know it's moved on to the internet a lot now, but it's, uh, it's definitely worth getting the word out there so people are using the kit. They've bought mm. the right way as much as anything. And it sort of reaffirms again what we've chatted about throughout this whole podcast, the benefits of going to your uh, uh, dealership, retail shop, and actually properly getting fitted for the correct kit for what you're going to be needing it for. You know, are you commuting? Are you touring? What? How are you going to be using your bike? That, that sort of stuff. What is the best kit for you and how do you properly use it? Yeah. So don't go in, get all the information, and then save a tenner somewhere else. Just work mm. work with them. Everything that I go, I'm a drummer in a punk band, and I go to one place to get all the stuff for my drums, and I don't even look at the price because I know <laughs> how much that guy has spent with me. Yeah, yeah, know, yeah. He's already spent – his boss has spent the money for the time it takes that guy to explain everything to me properly because mm. – and I, and I can get all the tips and everything that I need online and – and all the information from the people that I'd, I'd like to, but yeah. then you go into the hardcore guys, maybe he's working for one of the manufacturers or whatever, and he's got his opinion, but I've never had anything that's that's gone wrong. And it's been advice mm-hmm. because you're there with him, aren't you? And he's yeah. got, you know, he can't fob you off because you're right in front of him. Yeah. And if you get uh, wrong, uh, just go back. And they're, yeah. they're upset about it, aren't they? Because he's the guy yeah. that, oh, I'm really going to sort that, if they're any good. Um, I've got another tip for the guy with the data. Uh, you know, the guy that we were saying that's got leaky kit, but he's got his um, Gore-Tex boots. So just remember that I went to Gore-Tex to Livingston at some point with a ZZR 1400. So mm-hmm. I went I rode with a dealer from the Midlands. So we've r- ridden to Livingston, got to the, the entrance of Gore-Tex, and um, 
they knew it was me because I had my test jacket on, which was red and two white stripes on. Someone would see me on the road on the way in, get him, take his boots off him, and would test his boots for the content of cotton in my socks to see if I was actually listening as a person that's just, is he just nodding his head and listening to us? So just do that and we can use it as an experiment and, and we'll bring it into the meeting. So they took my Daytonas off me, took the inner soles out of them, scraped the stuff off them from my socks and then analysed it for how much <laughs> cotton. And I, I passed because Daytona had given me a pair of socks <laughs> ages ago and I just used them with the boots. Yeah. But it was, I think they were saying it was no more than 40% cotton because they were saying you have to have some sort of cotton in there because um, because of comfort and that's mm-hmm. it. But they won't work. It's the same as the underwear. We we're just talking about top and bottom garments. Yeah, you I didn't know, even think about have, my feet. Have a 700 pound pair of boots. <laughs> no breathability because you, you, what, what was the stuff that they always used to moan about people putting on it, which they'd wash off? Oh, um, beeswax. And right. stuff at the show where they used to clean your boots. Yeah, can't remember what it's them up so they wouldn't breathe. And then you wear cotton socks, so you might as well have worn a carrier bag on your feet. <laughs> oiling. And they, but, they, used to tell, they used to tell us it's the second sweatiest part of your body, the soles of your feet. The All second. Right. Yeah. <laughs> we won't go into the first. It's another podcast. <laughs> That'll be why I always, I always used to get a poop. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right, lads. There's, I think there's literally one... Uh, I think that, no there's two questions on Facebook are you alright just to batter yeah. them off I know we're yeah. getting late now it's like coming up for 20 to 10 at night I, I was concerned that we weren't going to be able to talk for long enough but it turns <laughs> out it's not a problem <laughs> isn't it crazy how quick time goes though like it's nuts when you turn around and go what we've been chatting for two hours three hours we had, a, we had a meeting with Vanessa um, girl on a bike once uh-huh. Yeah, at yeah. Uh, Caffeine and Machine and she mm. kept having to tell us to get back on topic she's like guys we're supposed to be talking about something <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> she's coming back on. A, she's been on a couple of times she's coming yeah. on January I think she's coming on uh, right okay so thank you very much for those questions on Instagram last lot over on Facebook just at Teapot1 first one David Deadman Loved my Lindstrand's adventure suit, great value and worked well for many years. My question is, where do you see the next major innovation in bike clothing coming from? We have D30 and airbags, but what will be the next technology leap? Uh, From what I hear, it's going to be a change in membranes to nanotech is what they're saying. So much more breathable um, and you'll be able to get a jacket that this is quite far off still, uh, that's sort of very... uh, a lot of airflow, but also remains waterproof. So you can almost have one jacket still. That's what they're seasons. working on. Mm. Yeah, but it's 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 a way off still. That'll be quite a big innovation, I think. Mm. Um, I haven't heard of anything else that I'm probably allowed to talk about recently. So it's uh, what about um, what about the, magnets connecting the jackets to uh, jacket and trousers together? Yeah, that, we saw an Ike. Ike it's a bit isn't it? But I saw that at Ike, man, yeah. which was excellent. It's got a little, a little clip at the front, but you just you just drop it on and it attaches the trousers and the jacket together. Yeah, that's quite and, cool. And it, and it will hold in the event of a spill. Yeah, it's a little lock, a bit like um, uh, you okay. get on Krieger bags. I guess it, it magnetizes and locks in. Wow. So it's got a, a bar at the back, and yeah, the magnet hits the bar, and clamps it down. It's just at the front, so it's got a uh, a small zip at the back, and then the front clamps on with with magnets. Yeah, there's, wow. been, there's, there's been a lot of talk over the years of lots of things I've heard of um, wireless charging through your seat into the pant of your trouser to heat your suit so you've got a wireless heated suit I've heard of that um, Rucker have launched uh, 
a couple of years ago, they had an air conditioning unit or essentially on the side of your suit. Got a big fan, the blue cold air through your suit to keep you cool. And they were using it. They, yeah, it's, it, but it was about this big. You know, it was it, it was too big, but they used it in um, it, it was in the desert somewhere. I can't remember where they did a tour with six seven people, and they used it in the desert to ride through the desert. And it kept them cool through that. Wow. So I think there'll be there'll be movement on the sort of um, the air conditioning or keeping the right temperature on the bike as well. That's that's happening slowly. That would be. I, I wore I wore an RST textile suit uh, for one of my trips in Morocco, and I remember it was forty nine degrees, and we were in the Sahara trying to pick GSs up. <laughs> yeah, I would quite like the aircon for that. I'll tell no, you that. I think I think in those conditions you've got to go motocross clothing. It's the only option, isn't it? Oh, the, the thing was though is that we we rode from southern Spain all the way down to Marzuga and and like all around Morocco, and as you said, Mick, you you we encountered every type of weather you can think from like the heat and humidity of southern Spain then once you get up into the like Atlas Mountains and stuff in Morocco it was freezing you get torrential rain and then you've got 49 degrees like dry heat in the Sahara Desert there was everything <laughs> there was like six of us and I think five of us got heat stroke at some point throughout throughout that trip it was nuts amazing amazing have you been to Morocco Stunning place. Need to go. Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. It's amazing. <laughs> um, right. One more then. We've got final question, and that is Nick Hughes. Why don't many high-end manufacturers submit their textiles for testing to PPE standards? As far as I'm aware, it's only hideout and BKS. So he's we- he's he's not talking about PPE, he's talking about I, I would imagine the old standard, which is the old, the old professional yeah. standard. And the reason is because it, it it's it's extremely hard to hit, and yeah, they're they're uncomfortable is the problem. They're very mm-hmm. they're very stiff and expensive to manufacture. That's why it's hard gotcha. it's hard, really hard to get it through that standard and make a comfortable suit. So when you're when you're with Hideout and BKS, they can custom fit it, so it remains comfortable. But as a standard off the peg, yeah, it's just it's just not viable um, it's at the fit, moment it's fit for purpose. They're professional riders that are using it that need that kind of mm-hmm. it's it's uh, it's that compromise, isn't it? You're not looking at the comfort. You're looking at exactly what it does. Triple mm-hmm. A textiles will be coming fairly soon, I would imagine, within the, uh, at better price points in the next uh, two years, two to three years. Uh, you'll be able yeah. to get triple A textiles sub thousand pounds. I think currently the wow. only mass market one is the Klim triple uh, A Badlands, which is about fifteen sixteen hundred. I think for the jacket. Yeah. Right. But if you try that on, you'll see what I mean by it's very stiff. Yeah. And they've done a great job making it. It's a great jacket, but it it's not as comfortable as your Naval or anything like that. So that's For that's sure. the reason really is comfort and cost. Okay, okay. Right. Awesome, gents. Well that's us gone through all the questions. Is there anything that we've not touched that you would like to to chat about or bring up? We've said everything, haven't we really? Pretty much. What's <laughs> the thought? <laughs> I mean there's always there's always loads to talk about. So um if you did want to do something else on another channel or whatever then let us know and we'll, we'll we'll answer that if people have got questions they want to fire in at you can always forward a load on or whatever you cool. want to do is fine what i would say though is for your if you want to do this mm-hmm. up to you but we're happy to give one of your listeners or subscribers a free pair of gloves so oh fantastic um, maybe uh if they liked our our instagram page and put mm-hmm. your your handle on it as a in the comments then Beautiful. i'll pick someone in about you know, maybe in December for time for Christmas or something. Okay. So if you think of a date, then we'll do that. We'll give them a free pair of gloves away as well. Fantastic. Can you can you give out the tag? What what is the Instagram page for people? At Halvarsons MC. 
Right, there we go. There'll be Thanks links down below me. as well, folks. Yeah, so if you if you go on, um, I'll get our social media to put the episode up on, on the Instagram. And awesome. then underneath that one, then we'll, we'll do something with that and we'll, we'll send a pair of gloves to a winner. Beautiful. So keep your eye out for that, folks. I will obviously repost on my socials when that goes live. Thank you very much, James. Much appreciated. Uh Uh, It's been great chatting with you. I've learned loads, actually. There's (laughs) loads there for me to look at. I'll uh, go and chuck chuck out all my cotton T-shirts that I wear underneath my my bike. Um, Great. Thanks very much, lads. Cheers for coming on. Folks, remember to follow all the socials. They'll all be down below. And uh, all that's left to say is keep doing your thing. Look after those that you love. Get on out whenever you can. But most importantly, most importantly, live your life. Woo-ha! <laughs> Cheers, boys. That was Cheers. awesome. <laughs>